The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. If you haven't fast-forwarded through this part yet, here's Brandon. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and the final adventure of the Summer of 93 at 30 series. It's the Summer of 93 at 30. This has been a weekend-by-weekend look at the movies released during the Summer of 1993. And here as he's been for the whole journey of two complete summer scott's like i've seen every movie from the summers of 82 and 93 it's scott Mendelson from the rap it has been a long long dark journey but now it is at its end and i'm glad that you're here at the end of all things and completing his first summer uh with us from the summer 93 uh writer for we live entertainment variety why so blue and host of out now with aaron and guest star of the brandon peters shows abraham moa Aaron Newarth. Hey, okay, so I've tallied up all the movies that Scott and I disliked, and I figured that you said that you would re- re- reimburse us for those fees to watch them, so I we could do that live on the show. So that we could yeah, that yeah. In let me get let me get my let me message you my Venmo. You can <laughs> well, in that case, it. you can ask. Never mind, it. I didn't like House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that has been the phrase of the summer. It's no House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> Truly been so. For the listeners here, this episode is coming the week after the previous one, but for us in real time here, it has been two months. Inadvertently, there's been this long break in our recordings that just happens. A lot of, lot of stuff, personal stuff. Barbenheimer just fucked up everything. But Barbenheimer thing. happened. There are two strikes currently going on. Two strikes. <laughs> when it was clear mission impossible dead reckoning part two was not going to be the number one uh box office champion this year scott asked us if he could take a week and we were like all right <laughs> all right and yeah, when so, ruby yeah. gilman bombed he asked for another week <laughs> yeah so yeah it's uh so we know we know we we know the the results of the barbenheimer thing we know everything except right now uh, the Meg 2 and Ninja Turtles, what they're going to do. We, we don't know. On Meg. Come on, Meg. And who knows? That Blue Beetle might pull it off. It will not. It, had, it sold dozens of pre-sale tickets. Dozens. <laughs> I mean, it looks fun, but God, I wish it had come out in like 2017 when superhero movies were still an automatic big deal. But I digress. I mean, it may make well under $100 million. So who knows? Shell. And we still have to take one last voyage on the Demeter. Yes, that one's just for fun. That's a that's a for us film. We uh, never expected that. Right? Really, that's the one for us. That's that's the one for us movie. We've got to get those tickets. Is all I'm saying. Yes. So we are here. But uh, I, I do wonder if, like, and again, we at this recording, we have not seen that film yet, as far as I know. It's like, can you watch like Bram Stoker's Dracula right up to that part where they're 
very briefly talk about the ship, watch all of the Voyage to Meteor, and then jump back into Bram Stoker's Dracula. No, because it's not the accurate Dracula. But but that's how most movies I think should work. Like we should watch, we should be, we should be able to watch the beginning of Jurassic Park Dominion. Pause the, of the director's version that has the flashback. Pause that. Watch Disney's Dinosaur. Then watch Jurassic Park. That's what that's how things should work. But you know, or since they're both universal, you watch the prologue to Jurassic World Dominion. You're right, and then watch all fifteen all the Land Before, Before Time, Time yeah, movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which Brandon said he would do for a, a special Naptown nerd. Jenny reader. Nicholson beat you to it by like a year. There we go. Sorry, thanks, Jenny. You got me off the hook. I think we could use a man's perspective to change. <laughs> oh God! What if, what, what if that was this show? <laughs> what if we were that guy? Oh my God! Lord, the, the, the guy railing against Barbenheimer. It, <laughs> Oh my! Uh, what are we it, talking it, about? Nineties movies. Nineties movie. <laughs> anyway, I was gonna say I want the film of someone to make Rocky's flight to Russia in Rocky Four, so you can just—it's just all the flight. That's Wait, it. I want to know him flying back from Russia after which his son is like seven years older. Oh, that's true. They must have flew through one of those um, uh, time rifts from. Well, I mean, we've had another delay, Mister Mister uh, uh, Balboa. It's going to be another year. Is he sitting there, Matthew McConaughey style, and Interstellar, watching them crying at the footage of his son growing up? And Polly's just like, I can't stop signing bad deals and spending your money. And he's just he's sitting there behind a bookcase. Polly, no! Stop it! All right. So, so, summer movies in 93. Uh, this is the final week, uh, the series finale. As we discuss September... Someone will die. But who? Sorry, sorry, Brandon, it's you. Oh, no. (laughs) That almost happened between these recordings. Anyway, so September 3rd through 5th, 1993, I believe it's the Labor Day weekend, always the best. Huge, huge huge weekend. weekend. Huge weekend. Um, We'll be discussing... It'll be Craven weekend in 2024. There we go. Uh, Four films. Um this weekend but as we always do let's one last time for the news of 1993 when i wake up don't you know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you you know you know ladies and ladies and gentlemen hold it here hang on a second if you think about it all i really did was take the summer off Thank you very much. Welcome to the uh, show. My name is Dave, and I check this now with the CBS attorneys, and legally I can continue to call myself Dave. So yes, sir. All right. So on August 30th, uh, the late show with David Letterman debuts. Remember Dave signed off Ooh. earlier in the summer, and he's back on CBS from the Ed Sullivan Theater uh, his first guest was Scott. Bill Murray. Aaron. Steve Martin. Scott is correct. One one point to Scott. I the, watched it. The musical guest was Aaron. Oh, shit. Uh, can I quietly Google this? No, no. <laughs> I, will, um, I will give you a clue, Scott. Oh, I don't get a clue. Shit, shit. No pressure, Aaron. No pressure. David Bowie? David Bowie? Billy Joel? There you go, Scott. There you okay. go. Uh, Scott did the music video episode of the Brandon Peters Show for that song. Oh, right, right, right. That too. 
Yes. Well, um, and this, of course, for those who don't know, this, you know, David Letterman got his own show at 11.30 on CBS after he failed to get the uh, uh, Tonight Show, which after Johnny Carson retired, there was a giant war. Thousands of people were killed. It was very tragic. But eventually, uh, Jay Leno took the crown of the Tonight Show. And that was the last time there was ever controversy involving the Tonight Show. Yes, they ne- fortunately Jay Leno picked it air with plenty of time, and the next transition was incredibly smooth, yep. and nothing bad ever the happened. Well oiled machine oh, that God, tonight show, that's for sure. So I, I actually, you know, what's funny? Like I was actually, I had a real come up that was a Jay Leno interview for some reason, and it was him talking about this, and he, according to him. In his so he he like subbed for Carson for what like five years, something like that before he got the job. They brought him in. He thought the job was Letterman's. He mentioned it, and they said no, it's gonna be you because every time he guest hosted, the ratings never dipped. He was always he always maintained the ratings, and David Letterman in his spot killed it, crushed it, everything. And it was basically Letterman was too good at his job, and they didn't want to move away from that and then have a problem at that slot. They owned like two and a half hours of television in the prime spot and prime time, and they didn't want to let that go. And they basically, they, you know, Letterman got forced out because being good at his job and idiot people at top that, you know, they knew if they put Conan there, it was going to dip. And that's what happened. That's what, that, and that's why Letterman left. But he, according to Leno, the Tonight Show job was never going to be offered to Letterman. Even if Leno said no, they were going to find somebody like a high-profile name to take it. So but, much bloodshed for nothing. I I was never a Leno guy. I was always Conan. And, I loved headlines, and, and I liked yeah. The headlines were good. There were some bits, um, but I was always Conan. I growing up in my in my youth, I remember watching his first episode and. Just stick it with him through through then, um, and uh, yeah, and I like Letterman a bit. Um, went to the same college as David Letterman, but um, so you guys are mildly older. Uh, than <laughs> I'm you, being you didn't I, live I, through I, the first. There, I can lay in the jokes the about one. being old if I, I, I. I'm just saying mildly older. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> You guys are slightly older than I am. So I didn't grow up watching late night shows during the nineties just because mm-hmm. it wasn't like my thing. It wasn't until, and like, honestly, I didn't even like know about Conan until Conan was reruns around comedy central for a while. And until they, until they got bought out or whatever. In the comes. year 2000. Like, that, that was my introduction to Conan. Uh, beyond like sympathy, it's like not like I knew who was writing The Simpsons in the nineties. I'm just like, yeah, this is funny. Um, I knew so Max like, Weinberg as Conan's drummer before I realized he was uh, Springsteen's. The same, like, it was a lot of gateway yeah. stuff because of that, and like learning about things. I didn't start watching night like late night shows until I started watching Fallon before it was on the night show when it was moderately better. Mainly because mainly because it's like he has the roots playing weekly for him. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but I think and then he went to Tonight Show and is like, well this is just bad now. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's my tonight show. That's right. my show journey. <laughs> On the same date that that premiered, the one hundred fifty millionth visitor to the Eiffel Tower stepped in and visited. Finally. Yeah. Uh, the guy with the ticker was like, oh Janice or no oh my God, hey. <laughs> Oh, the fifty million! 
I, I like this this like novelty sized clicker that he has. It goes to a million, <laughs> one hundred fifty million, not just a million. It fits our episode. Oh, it's like a gag out this of top episode. Secret, like this, just giant clicker. <laughs> it's like pressing it again and again. It's got a little guy that comes out and flips a thing over yeah. when you go close up. <laughs> That's funnier than a movie we were going to talk about in a little bit. All Maybe right. two movies we're going to talk about. Oh, jeez. Uh, August 31st, Venezuela President Carlos Perez flees. I don't know where to. It just said he flees. Good riddance. Or maybe he's he like, he did. flees. He had fleas. Yeah, that yes. might be good. On September 1st, Goran Ivanishevic and Daniel Nestor play a 2010 tiebreaker in their first U.S. Open round match, eventually won by Ivan Ishik, the uh, longest tiebreak in U.S. Open history. I was hoping it'd be ping pong, but okay, U.S. Open. I'm history. just like, if it's not Agassi and Sampras at this time, I, um, I don't know. If the you guys tennis doesn't right. matter. The, who? Team who? Boris Becker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on September 2nd, at the 10th MTV Music Video Awards, Go on. Pearl Jam and En Vogue take home the most awards. This was the Jeremy year, the year, the last, and then when Pearl Jam decided to say, you know, fuck MTV, they quit making videos, they went after Ticketman, they did everything they could to not be popular and became more popular. Like, never going to get it. They didn't like that Jeremy was played every damn 10 minutes on (laughs) TV. That movie was about like a school massacre with a kid. Do you remember that? Uh, that uh, does he shoot video? at the school? Or does he just kill himself? They don't. They don't. I think he shoots. I don't. They don't show a weapon. They don't show. They just show like the kids are like. So sure. maybe he does kill himself in front of the class because the the lyric is Jeremy spoke in class today. Maybe spoke means, you know that. But um, it's a really very. I haven't well, seen this video. It sounds like a ride. Who did it? McGee, Hype Williams. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I often you know. Joke, not joke, because it's not really funny. But you know, certain age when you realize that Janie's got a gun isn't about gun control. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. Sorry. What I did you smash that subscribe button? Smash that subscribe button. I'm trying to find. Oh, Mark Pellington is the director of Jeremy. I was oh. trying to find it. Yeah, Mark Pellington. He directed okay. Arlington Road and the Mothman yeah. Prophecies. He played Freddy in Almost Famous. Remember Freddy? Of course. No, it's been a while. No, I know who Mark Pellison is, yeah. Yeah, so that is the director of Pearl Jam. Is he the one that almost but then didn't direct The Wolfman? Mm. No, that's um, Romanik. Fire, apologies, carry on. Mark Romanik, you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's still doing music videos, too, for people that'll that'll do them. Um, He did Homicide Life on the Street, Scott. He did Blood Ties, Part 3, Season 6, Episode 3. Classic oh, guys. Oh, oh, that was the James Earl Jones season six premiere. There you go. Oh, wow. Okay. Which was probably their worst season. Oh, wow. At least he took home that uh, video yeah. music award. VMA. That's what they. And that, that was the one year. That was the one year Andre Brower finally won an Emmy for Homicide because it was his last season as that character on the show. Mm-hmm. And it was, I would argue, Again, you know, I watched all seven as they aired. It was probably the worst season of the show. Um, yeah, whatever, random. All right. On September 2nd, Central African Republic ex-emperor Jean Bedel Bacasa was freed. Good. Yes. 
It happened. Um, to kill again. To kill. That's oh, probably going to be very, Jesus. very offensive if I look it oh, up. Don't, don't they take that and make it a gift for you? Scott's like, Scott's like screaming. He's like, I want to spend more time with my family. Can you guys please get me like canceled, lose my job? <laughs> Make me de- make me delete Twitter. Like I, just, I, I need to be Scott free from like- this life. <laughs> so Scott's at here, but he's still here. So we know nobody's listening to the summer of ninety three at thirty. So. <laughs> or we'd have been done away with long ago. Uh, or we're on a lot of mutes. Anyway, uh, September fourth, New York Yankees pitcher Jim Abbott no hits the Cleveland Indians four nothing at Yankee Stadium. With one hand. That was that for Major League. He was the one. He had the. He had like what? He only had one hand or something. Like you like, find like a, this man. You <laughs> find this man. The perfect summer <laughs> for a no hitter. It tied in. They probably did a tie in. Like Wendy's, Jim Abbott, and the Fugitive present. The yeah. Uh, uh, September fifth, Scott. Scott sighed some relief. Scott had a sigh of relief that morning reading the paper as he learned uh, F. Murray Abraham was released from the hospital after a car accident. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mozart's ghost getting revenge. As he was released, <laughs> Nuruddin uh, Morcelli runs the world record mile at 344.39. That's a fast mile. Yeah. That's faster than I can do it. All that's right. Been, that's been beaten <laughs> multiple and, times. <laughs> and now... Those who left us this week, uh, the deaths, oh, yeah. uh, Richard Jordan, the actor, mm. uh, actor Eric Berry, sculptor Hugh Lorimer, uh, writer and voice actor Clyde Adler, and cinematographer, for the spy who loved me, uh, Claude Renoir. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we have two birthdays, uh, Dominic Thiem, a tennis player, and... Gigi Golightly, actress? Anybody know her? Nope. Ghost Deadly. Yeah, Ghost Deadly, Gigi Ghost Deadly. Oh, yes. All right. So. It's going to be a long episode. <laughs> let's move on. Well, depends on some of these film conversations. because who... Son of the Big Panther. Fuck it. Move on. That's where we are. <laughs> Son of Big Panther. Roberto Benigni is an incurable loon. He's off the wall. See Benigni once. You'll be his fan forever. In Blake Edwards' Son of the Pink Panther, rated PG. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Scott, with Boy, this movie's terrible. All right. Directed the final film from Blake Edwards. Uh, written, yeah, oh, that's sad. Written by Maurice Riechlin, uh, Blake Edwards, and Madeline Sunshine. Sure wasn't shining over this film. Uh, starring Roberto Benigni. Oh, hey, it's a me. It's me. I still get Bill Oscar. Nice weekends. I filmed this movie. I am the Pink Panther. Oh, yeah. Mystery. Uh, also starring Herbert Lom, Claudia Cardinal. We're not doing it for every one of them. Pinocchio movies. Shabana Azmi. Deborah Ferentino, Jennifer Edwards, Robert Davi, and Mark Schneider. Charles Dreyfus encounters Jacques Gambrelli, who reminds him painfully of Inspector Clouseau, the man who drove him insane. With good reason, Gambrelli is Clouseau's son. Don't put that in the papers. All right, guys, I need to lead off here. 
I had never seen a Pink Panther film before. No. Blind. Okay. Well, they're all uphill from so, here. I remind hold on. I I remembered as a child there's the Pink Panther, the cartoon character, and he sold carpet for some reason. Remember, Scott? Carpet there were Vaguely. Oh, there was carpet, like or he sold the padding under the carpet. I I would and there'd be like a Pink Panther movie would come on TV. I'd start it. There'd be the cartoon intro, and I'd be like, oh, and then it'd be like live action, be like, what is this shit? And I turn it off. So I never really watched them. I put in to get a review copy of the Shout Factory put out a box set. They didn't send it to me, so I didn't see it. Well, when I did the mapping out of this, um, and I noticed the Sun of Pink Panther was coming, I'm like, and it's the ninth film. I'm like, all right, throughout the summer of doing the, or throughout the series, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to watch all the Pink Panther movies. So yeah, I know yeah. where we're at. Uh huh. How'd that go? I did it. Um, <laughs> I have seen some of the worst movies I may have ever seen. They get bad. Um, there's one that should be, uh, fuck you, Blake. Like, there, like, there's, I know yeah. people are g- getting mad about, like, people getting, like, CG versions of dead people in movies. But you need to watch the one where he takes footage of Peter Sellers that's just, like, not there <laughs> and makes a movie of it. The deleted like, from the it's a tribute one. to my friend. It's like, no, okay, considering the two of them were feuding before he died. And the estate was like, what the hell are you doing, Peter Sellers? Like, that's ah, that's ickier than just like an estate going, sure, animate him, you know? Like, but that happened. But there's there's one with like, they're just like, screw you. We don't need you, Blake Edwards or Peter Sellers. And they get yeah. like, uh, uh, catch twenty two. Um, Arkin, Arkin, Arkin. I'm like, yeah, Arkin? he's Peter Sellers. What the? F-? He and that poor bat. Like he goes through a movie that's just like how oh, he's trying. Um, and people come and go. Like they, it, it is. There, there's a there's a sort of aspect I liked about him. That's the travelogue James Bondy type thing. Like these are like shitty James Bonds at times. Um, because he's shitty in like Flint's. Shitty in my There you go. There you go. Um, and yeah, so I got through, and then I watched the Steve Martin ones. No, I have a question. No, neither of them are good. But no. is that second one better than that first one? No, because I had some giggles during it. Uh. But it, and they they totally like. Did, that p- poor Emily Mortimer. Why is she always like second fiddle girl in movies where I'm like, she's like top. Like she's always like, well, this is my not as pretty as me friend. Or I, look, I, she's I, got glasses. And I'm like, are you, what is, okay. So I can't tell you how much I hated those Steve Martin movies. Like the when like there was never, I just couldn't stand them. It's on paper, cool. on paper, that sounds like it should not fail. I guess, but like the first Jean Renault doing comedy? Come the on. first few seconds of seeing this, I'm like, this is not me. <laughs> this is not a thing that I want to be a part of. No. And then so, they made a second Mason one. Statham obviously agreed. They, they, and you know what? This is probably gonna be this is gonna probably gonna be a thing that gets summer of ninety three like hate and canceled, but Mordecai's better than those. Mordecai yeah. is Mordecai is what is. you want of those done better. I'm sorry, but 
It is. Um, if the cast of that film could like stop getting into trouble, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, my, my, yeah. The six of us. <laughs> that Mordecai, we're not even a, like, what did McGregor do now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, us Mordecai fans were getting up to be able to say dozens, but we're still whole, not there. <laughs> so yeah, so I I have through the summer of '93 at 30 seen every Pink Panther f- film, and I am so glad a, I did not have to review a, that box set years pledge. later. <laughs> a terrible pledge to yourself. <laughs> you know, um, you know. The first two were good. Yeah, the second shot in the dark is that shot the second one? That's the one. That's the peak. Yeah, the first the one's not even that interesting. The first got, one's. It's got, some, yeah, it's got that classy 60s pastiche shit that go on that line. It's fine. Watchable. The, the, the first one, one it, the first one has the benefit of being better than Casino Royale. Like it just gets. Oh, yeah. 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 What's, a lot quicker. Um, what's the one? The one one of them had an all timer opening sequence where it just like f- camera followed through rooms and all sorts of stuff. To, I think it's shot in the dark. That's shot, shot in the dark. dark. So, yeah. yeah. That's yes. the one. So if they ever release that thing by itself. I will own Shot in the Dark for sure. Back That's- in the, I guess, eighties and early nineties, when the, when it was conventional wisdom that sequels were bad, that was considered an exception to the rule, and that it was a sequel that was just fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is they used to always there was the some people called like the Halloween movies where it went through four, five, and six, the Pink Panther run of Halloween movies because it was Return, Revenge, and Curse. Those are better than <laughs> even at the worst. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't think that in my mind before, but that's great. God, you're not wrong. (laughs) They're better than the Pink Panther sequels Uh, that aren't shot in the dark. But anyways. So obviously this new one, the latest one, or the whatever, the sun, you were like, finally a good one of these, right? That's what you landed on? No. Um, This one is awful like this sucked um i had and i watched this twice because we i watched it early and then we took a long time between recording so i refreshed myself details and i was like oh yeah it still sucks i remembered this perfectly i luckily it was background noise for me the second time and they try to like they try to modernize it they got the like acapella 90s theme going like and do all that stuff roberto benini like i don't understand like you're his son. Here's the bat costume. Like, what the? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I don't know where to begin. Like, I got Never Say Never Again flashbacks. Just the look of the movie looked like it at times. Like, it was like, oh, this is like a trashy knockoff. Someone shouldn't be making a Pink Panther movie, Pink Panther movie. But it's Blake Edwards. Like, I'm just cashing in on Pink Panther movies for the rest of my life. That's what he does. Um... Yeah, it, like I said, visually, second unit from uh, Never Say Never Again got called, it seems like. Uh, and then, like, there's, like, oh, he's the son of Clouseau. Like, who gives a shit? Like, really, in this movie, like, in the world of this movie, why do people give a shit about <laughs> the son, this supposed bastard son of Clouseau? Like, because they already used the words curse, revenge, and return. Yeah, I guess so. They could have done Big Panther H3O. I don't know. Uh, Robert Robert Davi here is like Bobby potential Davi. potential wasted because I always think he's a pretty good in this era he's like a top guy you call for to get a villain but I don't think the top people call him to get a, like he lucks out here that like he's at the Bond the Bond um, instead of Die Hard kind well, of he's just an asshole for two seconds and Die Hard but there's a there's an opening him for to be like aces in a silly comedy like this but just no like whatever oh, they give him mean. whatever they're doing <laughs> huh. 
He's mean. He's mean, movie. but there's a way to make a funny Robert Davi thing, and it's just no, nothing's happening. Nothing's Steve. happening. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, oh, maybe they'll do something clever here. Nope. Nope, not at all. Uh, it also feels like there's two separate movies going on, and then you tend to forget about the other one as it's happening. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, and while I mentioned those other Pink Panther movies had that travelogue to them, this has none of that. Um, it's it's ugly. Like there's not there's on boats and like inside too much. Uh, and then the finale, I got Hot Shots Part Two flashbacks. Like, and that movie was genuinely more thrilling in its finale than this. And that was a spoof ass parody with dumb lines and and Star like, Wars yeah. references and yeah. stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. And then the end, they're like, "Guess what? There's another dipshit that that's here too," and it's just, it's oh, this. I'm done talking about Pink Panther. Aaron, you want to go? Talk so about mixed that? thoughts on the son of Pink Panther. Mixed positive. Yep. <laughs> this is a series like super low point of the ones I watched. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen the first Pink Panther and Shot in the Dark, and then I've like seen scattered pieces of the others because I just lazy. I just uh, realized I have better things to do. Hey, that's not going to enhance the son of Pink Panther in any way whatsoever. Um, and then we don't need to talk about the Martin movies anymore. Um, so, like, Shot of the Dark, legit great. Like, I'm all about that movie. So, that's so, you know, I I get that this had a reputation going into it, which I had not seen before. So, I'm thinking, let me, let's watch this son of Pink Panther and see, like, <laughs> what's going to come out of this. Like, <laughs> Benini can be fun. Like, sure, maybe the rest of the movie just has like is lacking. Since these these Pink Panther movies, I think a key, an interesting aspect of them is that Clouseau is only sometimes the main character. Like, he's often like a very large presence, but not necessarily the drive of the stories. It's like, maybe we'll do something clever here. It doesn't do that. It's uh, this is a real um, <laughs> misstep, to say the least, as far as what can be offered. Which is a shame because it's like, okay, bring the Pink Panther to the new, you know, era. That's a that's a novel approach. Benini, sure, okay, that's wild. Let's let's see what we're doing with him. But it just misses every opportunity to kind of do anything after the opening theme, which I actually quite like. I enjoy the theme that they do for this, just because I like the, I like the original Mancini score so much. Anyway, so it's like, yeah, all right, cool. Here's a, here's a fun new modern version. That's something. And then it just quickly like dissipates any kind of <laughs> relative level of enjoyment. It's not funny. It's not clever. Yeah, the mystery is not compelling. The whatever you want to call set pieces don't do anything of note here. It's cheap looking, despite having these areas that they're filming in that you know would ideally provide at least some kind of interesting location work to deal with. There's there's nothing here that's special at all that would make you think oh yeah finally revisiting the pink panther thank you son of pink panther no this is not that movie it's just a depressing slog because nothing's worse than a comedy that's not funny which we'll talk about again in this episode <laughs> and it's more like the son of the alan arkin pink panther that's what it should be but scott um so you said this is the best one <laughs> uh clearly i did but you know uh, no it's terrible it's exactly, you know, I did briefly, vaguely remember seeing it when it was on HBO or whatever back in, well, I guess it would have been like 94 because usually it was a longer window. And it was, it's every, even when I was 13, 14, whatever, it's, it's, I knew it was terrible. It wasn't funny. It was, the t- 
tone was random. The film opens with a machine gun massacre. I, I don't think being a youngster would necessarily help you be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a kid. I don't know any better. I think kids would be like, yeah. why is this happening to me? <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's even that. It's like, obviously, I didn't know who Benini was because this was six years before Life is Beautiful. But it's just, it's boring. It's haphazard. It's undisciplined. It is... As you said, he's like, oh boy, he's his son. Who gives a shit? And you know, to my recollection, in the in the movies, it's not like he's a celebrity or anything. Um, I could be mistaken. No, they do. They do uh, treat him like the world's greatest detective, or France, France's greatest detective. So, like he's he's known, but like yeah. no one would give a shit about this son. Like, oh, just um, you could have watched Down by Law and been hip to Benini. And be like, oh, finally, <laughs> we're up against the big leagues, son of Pink Panther. <laughs> um, no, I mean it's, it's it's as generic and paint by numbers as you would expect from a movie like this that has no reason to exist except for to extend the life of the IP. It was, you know, for all I know, it was a keep the rights kind of issue. Yeah, MGM um, was in there in between Bond movies being like, I guess we got to make a Pink Panther to get that money rolling. Well, they're waiting yeah, on those Bond I mean, rights to come back. They're like, yeah, you know, I get, get a Pink Panther maybe, going. Maybe Blake. just because... Maybe just because there's a few actors in each of those that I do like, but I think this is worse than Steve Martin was. Yeah. Um, by default. And look, I mean, it's, it's, there are a few bits in those shorter films I find amusing. Yeah. And, you know, Clive Owen is not Bond is a very fun inside joke that I appreciated then and now. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a garbage movie. Yeah, it's dumpy. Like, this is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, it, it's funny. Like, this is one of the worst ones. I don't think it's worth ranking anyone, but you can say, yeah, this is the bottom. This is the pits. And I don't know what other than shot in the dark. And it's funny because we always talk about. And this is true of the Pink Panther, that the second film is the one that sets the tone for what really the franchise is. And you watch that. first one caught me by surprise, because, like, Clouseau is, like, a very secondary character. There's not very much. Yes. Not very much in it. And then he be take, and then Shot in the Dark is what it becomes. Um, but I think I had more fun watching the Alan Arkin one than I did this son of Pink Panther yeah. one. Um, and it's just bad. And we don't need to spend more time on it. Let's talk about the TV shows this week. You loved him on Night Court, and now he's back. John LaRiquette is back to take over the strangest night spot in town. People did that? There, as I could imagine, but people? Four-time Emmy winner John LaRiquette is back on NBC. Hey, how you doing? Tuesdays this fall. What is our, in our final TV ratings, Nielsen ratings, what was number one? Huh. I mean, uh, if, unless it's a home improvement rerun, I'm good, what, like 2020 or something like that? What, listener? Oh, home improvement, yes. <laughs> number one. Number one. Number, number two. Yes. <laughs> Is Roseanne? The, the, no, the premiere of the John Larroquette show. I watched that oh. show. I watched the show. I, I, I remember that. Yeah, I watched, I, I started out with it. Um, number three is 60 Minutes on CBS. Number four is Roseanne on ABC. Uh, we have a three-way tie at five with Primetime Live on ABC, Seinfeld on NBC, 2020 on ABC. Number eight has a tie with Coach on ABC, 
and Unsolved Mysteries on NBC. Mm. At number 10, 48 Hours on CBS. So those news programs are just like oh. aces. The internet really screwed that up, didn't it? Like those yeah. news program and cable, probably cable news. Cable. But um, those news programs were top 10 gold here. They weren't, I mean, you had one of them, I think 60 Minutes showed up a few times in 82, but that was the only uh, journalism program that appeared in those ratings. And right here, they are. Bam, and that's. I think right now is also about time the the inside editions and and shows like that are starting to hit big too. So those might start taking away from those stories as well. Do we uh, have a twenty twenty anymore? We don't, right? That's not a thing. I don't think we do. With Bob they're like, Walters, I'm are downs. They're, are they're like specials though, like for some some things every now and again, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, twenty twenty was like Walters Downs are the main hosts, and then there was always you stayed for the John Stossel report, whatever that dude was doing. What's he doing? And then he <laughs> went like hardcore Republican all of a sudden. <laughs> That's all he, he does now. But um, yeah, I used to watch twenty twenty. It was on Friday nights uh, after yeah. TGIF. Yeah, so I was like, boring. Let me turn this off. No work. Yeah. I was watching. <laughs> well, Cody wasn't back on step by step this week, and I'm not watching <laughs> for for clearly clearly Puritan reasons, and that's all. That's all, right? Uh, so yeah, but I I would watch. They had stories that interest me and stuff, but um, yeah. But my news magazine show, my news magazine show was unsolved mysteries. So that's what I booyah booyah. That show rules. All right, uh, so we will move on. To our second film, Calendar Girl. I love you. I love you more than I've loved any woman. I'm a man on my knees. On September 3rd. It's Marilyn time. Make a date. Hello, is Marilyn home? With Jason Priestley. Marilyn! I don't rest until she's mine. In the year's most romantic adventure. I wanted to say I'm the greatest lover she ever had. Calendar Girl, rated PG-13, at theaters Friday. It's not a superhero movie, folks. I know some of you young listeners have been like, I don't remember a Calendar Girl or a movie about Calendar Girl. No, this is the <laughs> this, this is uh, the one directed by John Whitesell and written by Paul W. Shapiro, uh, starring Jason Priestley, Gabrielle Olds, Jerry O'Connell, Joe Pantoliano, he's back. Hey, Twice in a month, right? Uh, Steve Rails back. Kurt Fuller, Stephen Tobolowski, Emily Warfield, Maxwell Caulfield, Christine Taylor, Chubby Checker, and Tuesday Night also appear in this film. Penny Marshall produced it, and Hans Zimmer did the score. Um, three young men go on an end-of-the-summer trip to Hollywood, California. Their quest... To fulfill the fantasy of meeting Marilyn Monroe, uh, White Cell he directed. He's directing Coach at this time, and Roseanne, and Blossom, and A Different World. So he is taking a break for the summer, making a movie. Uh, he went on direct to direct such classics as Sea uh, Spot Run, Malibu's Most Wanted, Deck the Halls, mm. Hot in Cleveland, Girl Meets World, and his most recent success. Holiday. Oh. Uh yeah. Little and, Italy was better. Yeah. There you go. So uh Scott, let's talk about Calendar Girl. Did you save I, the date? 
I thought it was a perfectly fine example of what it was trying to be. It's a low-key, relatively grounded coming-of-age drama. It's light. I mean, it's not particularly morose, even though there are moments of, of you know, drama. Um, I thought, you know, it was well-acted. It was well-performed. I, I, I mean, I don't have that much to say about it because... And I don't even mean this as a criticism. It's a very slight picture. It's a what you see is what you get film. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it was notable for having Jason, Jason Presley in a lead role at sort of the height of the 90210 popularity. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cute. It's harmless. Um, you know, it came and went like a candle in the wind. Hmm. The kind way of saying boring. Aaron. Movie fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was nonsense. This is a nonsense story. It's 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 the the fact that Jerry O'Connell is in this makes it make me feel bad. Where it's like he went from Stand by Me to like this nonsense coming of age travesty. It's a <laughs> the well acted. Jason Priestley doesn't lead more movies after this for good reason. Uh, (laughs) This is not not a movie that's like, oh, finally a hidden gem full of wonderful little performances. This is broadly done. It's like there's what this whole subplot involving the mob. That's fucking dumb. I like it. It's it's, it's, the amount of movies that you can trace back that it's like, I guess we got to throw in like a mob gun subplot for some reason. Why is this movie about teenage boys looking for Marilyn Monroe being like, I guess we should put like guns in this at some point. Like this is dumb. It's a dumb movie. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing adorable about this set of guys that are like purely into Marilyn Monroe for no other reason other than the fact that she's Marilyn Monroe. There's no depth there whatsoever. That's not me asking for this to have any greater depth. But at the same time, it's like if you want to like have the narration and have the period detail and give me quirks about these characters, including Jerry O'Connor, who has a fake leg, like, give me a reason why I should like these guys beyond them just being random horn dogs from the 50s uh, <laughs> that have anything to say about anything going on in the world right now. They don't. There's nothing here. This is as thin as it gets. And it doesn't help that, yes, it's <laughs> these are these are ridiculous performances. They're just they're just fraud stereotypes. You have what, Stephen Tobolowski is a as a and who's the other one? Kurt, Kurt Fuller. Kurt, I, I put that in those like known tough guy actors. Kurt, Kurt Fuller's, <laughs> yeah, the ultimate tough guys, Kurt Fuller and Steven Tobolowski. It's and good Kurt, to see them stretch. And Kurt, <laughs> Kurt Fuller, who got like in trouble because he was playing a deaf character. It's like this is nonsense. All of this stuff. Dude, Joe I, Pants, of course, is the saving grace because he's Joe fucking Pants. But there's nothing else about this movie that's redeemable. Nothing. Dude, I died when Kurt Fuller and Steven Tobolowski showed up as the mods laughing, and then they stayed the whole movie and kept trying to present them as tough. Yeah, there's more of <laughs> just them. Like, <laughs> just I, was like, I was like, this is this is oh this this they're the they're like Tobin Bell. And- and uh, what's his name from the firm where they are these tough oh, guys, yeah. but like, and they're, they're <laughs> known, they're known as tough in other movies, but the movie struggles to present them as tough. And then this is these two goofballs and other things that are like, being as tough. I thought it was fun to watch them in, those, in that kind of character. I, Oh, and you know, to be fair, because I knew them, because we've seen them in 10,000 other things. Yeah. You know, if I had watched this, you know, as just 
two random character actors I didn't recognize, it probably wouldn't have had that entertainment value. But yeah, I mean, appropriate or not, it was fun to watch them play these kind of characters because they so rarely get to do that. Yeah. No, um, I, I do like again it's be, because because they have to play these mob characters where it's like in the midst of all this happening somehow there needs to be like the threat of violence lurking around the corner like why what are they, like it's just, and like in, in such a random way it's not like Kiefer and Stand by Me where he's just like a rival boy who's a bully like it's like the mob like what <laughs> there's a lot of that in. 80s, 90s comedies. I mean, yes, I like that's why a lot of a 80s, bit. 90s comedies are bad and don't age well. <laughs> that's why you're not looking at blank check and being like, oh yeah, it was a real dream to watch that kid spend a bunch of money while the mob was after him. That's a nonsense movie. I don't care how much Miguel Ferrer and Tone Loki throw at me. That movie's nonsense. Yeah, the, the mob stuff like feels just so like, why, why can't they just casually take the trip to find Marilyn. (laughs) Why can't they just go to find Marilyn, have trouble getting past Hollywood barriers and like I I don't know. Like there's there's a fun idea. Because then like, we wouldn't get to see Fuller and Tabowski playing tough guys, and that would be poor for that. Guys working at the studio that give them a hard time. They're like I, security for Maryland or so. Any yeah. number of things. Like, uh, like I, I like this movie has a cute idea. Like uh, for back then in ni- the 1993, it has this cute idea, and it's like then they overdo it. Like they overcomplicate it with like, well, we need like threat a threat we need a threat for them like and then it culminates in this like fake shooting uh-huh. and joy pants is a joy pants summer 93 master of disguise and wigs i will say that because <laughs> he has not looked the same in his movies um but yeah so there's that factor there's also this weird like desire to like catch that like wonder years magic with the narrator yeah. that's obviously trying to sound like Daniel Stern from the Wonder uh-huh. Years. He's got the cadence down. He's like, you know, and back in the 1950, when we were we were just lads, we had our calendars, the and they had girls on the them. Innocence. We went and saw a movie, and uh, it was a, it was a some some liked it, some thought it was hot, but we we thought maybe we could go. We left around. You know, my buddy Jerry O.C. and then Jason P. Like, it was bother. I was like, stop it. Like, it didn't need the narration at all. Like, we didn't need to look back. The narration was only there because, like, someone might mistake our main character for Jason Priestley. Like, that, it's weird to not have Jason Priestley be the main. Like, the movie obviously focuses on this guy, cuts everybody else's dialogue and scenes around making this guy the star. He's been on 902 and 0 for years, so it's not like he just got discovered and we need to make this movie around him. Um, they cast him in the part, and this is when they were trying to launch like Luke Perry and Shannon Doherty and get those people some other some big gigs. Um, it all worked. But, yeah, there, there's... And... Um, there's also something I, I had this realization of when I was watching this movie. There's a there's a nostalgia for filmmakers of this time for like that 50s era and the 60s, and there's this like lighting they use a lot of the time where uh-huh. it makes people look angelic or heavenly and polished yeah. and stuff, and that happens here a lot. And I'm like, 
That's crazy. Like, cause like, why is that the go-to for all these filmmakers making them look like, oh, look how glossy. It's the same. It is. It's the same bullshit. Logic. Everything was clean in the fifties, new, and like, and no, just like, like, yeah, you get that sheen, just like you put the brown filter on whenever you go to anything that's outside of America that happens to not be Europe. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, that's yeah. what it's supposed to look like. I guess it's just nonsense. Yeah, like uh, I, I was like, I there was stuff like I'm like. The, there's a good movie in this somewhere and you guys didn't make it. Like, I don't know what, what you did. Like, there's this cute, like there's this cute story of these idiot guys going, like thinking they can meet Marilyn Monroe. And then one goes on an awkward, like drive with her. Yeah. I'm like, this is gross. Like, I just, <laughs> and they get pulled over by the cops. And she's like, ah, oh, and all this, and the police incompetence. Like, is this movie trying to make a statement on cops, or is it incidentally making a statement on cops? Incidentally, because it's because like <laughs> there's the cop movie. that's bribed by Marilyn Monroe, and then there's like the guy, the cops that shoot somebody, or like pull gun. Like, what? I don't think they realize what they're showing here. Yeah, but this yeah, is, uh, this is uh, my week with Marilyn by way of dude. Where's my car? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that actually makes it sound better than it actually is. Yeah. Well, then there's so both of those movies are bad. <laughs> I just, I, I, by the time we get to the end of this thing, I'm like, how did this trip change their lives? Like, what did we did learn? It. And then like, they get this line like, nothing ever happens if you don't show up. Like the whole what the whole <laughs> like the book ending of the movie is what the the main the the non priestly character that's not Jared Connell because yeah. I can remember this for the life of me. Like he's like. Watching like people shove themselves into a phone booth because it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like look at these guys. Oh, this reminds me of that time where I did that stupid trip with my friends. Yeah, and he goes and just like, hi, I'm I'm this guy, and we're just like, man, you thought kids on their phones were bad. Now look what they just stuffed each other into phone booths, copped feels and shit. It was and keep in mind, months earlier in the spring, the Sandlot came out. A better movie about the 50s that has nostalgic things to say and has yeah. characters that you like and antics that are fun to follow. Yeah. Oh, and then if it, it, it doesn't end there because we get some kind of like hits sizzle from the movie during the credits. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because, <laughs> because, because, our, because our movie might not have been memorable, here's a brush up before you go to the car. <laughs> the like, credits are, it's not even, a, it's not a blooper reel. It's no, just, it's just scenes that you just saw in the movie edited in a different way so you can recall. So I said, like, so on the way to the car, you didn't, in case you forgot our forgettable movie, here's what happened. <laughs> Is a recap <laughs> presented out of order with music over it. Yeah, I yeah this yeah like, gl- Scott, I'm glad you got another House of Cards before Summer '93 <laughs> ended. Honestly, I didn't have anything resembling strong feelings about it either way. Yeah, it was like I okay, just, that's nice, whatever. Yeah, good critic. I watched the movie and I was just like, huh, it was kind of boring, dull. And then the the further I get got from it, I was like, God, it was. I, it it started hitting me the more like. You shouldn't have done the sizzle. That made me remember. And I don't know. I just had a lot of, like, it's, I was like, okay, I never saw this one back then. I remember, like, there was a, Entertainment Tonight made a big deal about this movie. I think it was mainly because Priestley, Beverly Priestley. Hills 90210, taken off. They were, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, did it play with me? I meant to, like, you know, rent it. I never did. I saw it now, and I'm like, huh. it's It's not a matter of wanting to, like, have strong opinions about this, Scott. It's just... If I have to like deal with these nonsense movies that like th- that many of them have this like random cult audience where they're sitting there being like, oh yeah, Calendar Girl, that was one of my movies when I grew up. I watched it. it's on Netflix now. That's number one. Then it's a mm-hmm. random hit versus like this movie is always terrible. 
There's no, <laughs> there's no reclaiming it. There's not there. It's very lazy. It's 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 just a it's a bad movie. I don't want to exist in this world where we like promote everything that's mediocre because I watched it when I was young and it was fine. So yeah, I'm taking my stance here. Oh, I had never seen this one before. I'm, t- I'm just I understand. I'm just saying I'm taking my stance here, not just like passing it over, knowing <laughs> it will not be good. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I had seen this before for some reason. It was like probably on TV or some point. Oh wow! Okay. I seen like I seen like a good portion of it. So when I when you said calendar, it was like what's that? And I looked up what it was. Like I've seen some of this movie, and I watched like yeah, this was <laughs> this was not a thing. <laughs> Oof! Not good. Not good. Not good. Um. Well, okay for Scott. Not good. For yeah. Scott and I. So, is it no House of Cards or is it better than House of Cards? Where are we at with this one? Oh, it's I would again. House of Cards, I think, is interesting, is as problematic and whatever as it is. This is just meh, whatever. All right, so it's no House of Cards. No. All right, all right. So few things are. Few things are. So we'll move on here to our Casey Kasem top forty, the final top forty for our ninety-three summer. Casey's biggest hits. The final number one. Jump it up here. Can't Help Falling in Love by UB40. Hey, finishing it off. Funny enough, number two, Dream Lover by Mariah Carey. The both, other. <laughs> both videos Abe talked about <laughs> on the show. So, number three, Whoop, There It Is Can by you Tag Team. Uh, number four, staying at number four, Lately by Jodeci. Staying at number five, Runaway Train by Soul Asylum, which that music video episode was a doozy. Uh, if you like Unsolved Mysteries, it's pretty good um, when we talked about it. Uh, moving up one spot to number six, Janet Jackson's If. So she is here at the end as she was in the beginning. Uh, moving up to number seven from number 11, right here, Human Nature. It's a SWV song remixed with a Michael Jackson tune. Okay. Um, I believe we talked about it the previous so just Friday ago, you heard me and Jennifer Rayford talk about that music video. Uh, coming up this Friday, you'll hear us, uh, me and Press Maxson, talking about Will You Be There from Michael Jackson from the Free Willy soundtrack. Mm. Number nine, sliding down, but staying in the top ten for the end, I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles by The Proclaimers. That happened. And our final, and number ten, sliding one spot, If I Had No Loot by Tony. Tony. Tone. All right, which that means, to quote the Fred Savage movie, The Wizard, our next movie we're going to talk about is California. Brian Kessler's investigating serial killers. The victim returns to the scene of the crime. What he doesn't know. How many people you think he killed, man? Is that early grace. Boys will be boys. Is the expert. You don't write a book about something you don't know nothing about. Does it make you feel good? Powerful. Brad Pitt, Juliette Lewis. I feel good. California, rated R, starts Friday. Directed by Dominic Cena. Written by Stephen Levy, Tim Metcalf. Starring David Duchovny, Michelle Forbes, Brad Pitt, and Juliette Lewis. A journalist duo go on a tour of serial killer murder sites with two companions, unaware that one of them is a serial killer. 
So Dominic Cena, he's a guy I've talked about his music videos. Now I'm talking about the film he directed. So he directed a music video this summer. I uh, directed one and another, another one I talked about earlier on the show. So he has uh, been a presence here on the Brandon Peters show talking about his work. So I will spin, I will leave it to you. Who wants California first? Uh, Scott, go with California. Uh, I've always liked this picture. Um, I, it always, even though it was like a year beforehand, it's always felt like the, without getting to better or worse here, sort of the grounded, more realistic version of what natural born killers would do. Obviously, they both start Juliette Lewis in a skewed coincidence, or maybe just being typecast. This is where she um, starts getting typecast. Yeah. 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 But no, I, I, I like the film quite a bit, although I mean, you know, and this is just me being nitpicky. I mean, is he really a serial killer? Or is he just an asshole who occasionally kills people when he feels like it? If your numbers I mean, get it's, up it's, to a certain, if your numbers get up to a certain amount, you are a serial killer. Yeah, it is kind of a pattern. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's a certain grungy plausibility to the whole picture. I mean, it's, it's yes, he's played by Brad Pitt, but it certainly isn't Troy Brad Pitt. And in that sense, this character is probably more realistic than most cinematic serial killers. You know, he's not John Doe or Hannibal Lecter, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, the film works in terms of, you know, the company's character being sort of, you know, partially blind to the obvious, one might argue. But otherwise, it's just, it's it's an earlier look at the notion of people that grew up in an age when serial killers were prevalent enough that you would they would have curiosity-induced fandoms or just sort of morbid curiosity in terms of, you know, I want to study this. And I want to learn what makes them tick. And they're very deep and interesting people. And in the end, he's just an asshole with issues and with, you know, a rage control problem. He's a controlling misogynist. I mean, it's, the joke of the movie is that he's really not that deep. He's just a dick. Um, and, uh, the, you know, everyone is very good in this picture. It's a very, it's a very, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, it's a character study and I think it stands out among the many, many serial killer ish movies that came out after Silence of the Lambs in that it doesn't feel particularly conventionally exciting or glamorous or vivacious. It's a certain almost a skewed meta you know, almost a, a, an answer to that glamorization that we were seeing in much of the mid, that mid to mid nineties through the you know, late nineties where it's just a, nasty mean little movie that just feels by virtue of its plausibility feels a lot more engrossing than a lot of the conventional serial killer thrillers that that i'm repeating myself um <laughs> i saw this once when i was when it was on hbo uh, roger ebert really liked it so it was one that i looked to i was looking forward to when it popped up after theaters this is the first time i had seen it since then so it's been 20 some years and in retrospect it does work as you know even even early in his career brad pitt is trying to sort of de-glamorize himself you know whether he know you know he's you know he's a character actor trapped in, in uh, robert redford's body um 
And this is, you know, even before Legend of the Fall, this could be considered sort of like killing Tristan, whatever his name's, you know, type picture. And uh, I'm going to stop talking for now. But yeah, I've, I've, I've always liked this film in terms of how it stands out from the, the films in the genre that we got during this period of time. It's sort of like the real world answer to the more sensationalistic pictures. Okay, Aaron. I like this movie overall. Um, I rented it back in, I want to say, 2099. I think it was after, um, I think it was after Gone in 60 Seconds and before Swordfish came out, as far as, so I was trying to just catch up on Cena. And I hadn't seen it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's a Duchovny Pit movie about serial killers. So I, I saw it then, and I hadn't seen it since. And I've I've largely heard it derided since then, as far as Pitt's performance goes, and just the nature of the story. To the point where I'm like, did I like this movie? And I, so I finally watched it for this, obviously. And um, I think it holds up fine. I um, I'm not quite with Scott as far as how grounded it feels. I do think it's you know by nature it feels gritty because they're on the road and it's dirty and stuff. But I do still think it's pretty sensationalized as far as just the premise and the outcome of things and the fact that while Pitt is certainly trying to play into the idea of being a character actor, he's still playing it big. It's a big performance. It's not his best version of this. Um, he gets better as he goes along. I mean, 12 Monkeys gets an Oscar nomination, although I'd argue that's also very big and not necessarily one of his best performances. Either. Uh, but that's here or there. Um, I He is effective, though, as far as in the realm of crazy serial killer characters in this time frame. Yeah, sure. He fits in with Woody Harrelson and um, um, Buffalo Bill and the others. Like, there's something there that makes him memorable. Like, yes, it's this kind of dirty asshole version as opposed to this elaborate killer man who skins people or whatever Oliver Stone is going for in Natural Born Killers. I like more than this, um, but it's its own thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, this feels like the midway point between something like those movies and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, where that's a movie that's brutal. That's a movie that's brutal and down to the earth. No, beyond like the fact that they're doing these heinous crimes. There's no. You have to take a shower after you say that. Henry. That feels like a. <laughs> that feels like a thing. That I think exists. that movie's great, but yeah. that feels like a thing that exists and was happened to be filmed. Like that's the difference there. Where this movie, it still feels like cinema. That's not a detractor or whatnot, but I mean, it like I, it's just. You know, you have a road trip with people that happen to be killers. That's a gimmick. I mean, <laughs> but it's effective. It works. I do like the cast. I think they're all effective in their own way. It is weird that Julia Lewis gets typecast and she doesn't play Mallory Knox at all in this movie. She just says lays a an innocent that happens to be hooked up with this, you know, this crazy man. Where that movie, she's as nuts as Woody Harrelson is in that movie. So it's it's interesting because uh, she plays the nicest character in this film that just happens to have gone the wrong way. But yeah, I mean, it's like a calling card movie for Senna. It does what it needs to. Like, it presents something that does, it does feel different. It does have a different sort of attitude. It's effective. It moves. Uh, it, it feels like a movie that comes from, like, this 90s era in a good way, as far as the kinds of things you see from these music video directors that are on the rise. David Fincher is a key one, obviously. Mm. Like, this feels like a product of that in a good way. So, you know, I can see why it would gain a following of sorts. I know Eber gave it four stars. I, I can see why it would garner a certain kind of following, despite the fact that it's, you know, not a huge movie in the realm of like everybody saw California when it came out, but it, I think it does the job that it's ultimately trying to do. Oh, well, this, so for me, um, this movie came, I saw it in college, 
came recommended to me from those same people who told you Boondock Saints was really awesome. Uh, those definitely you love both of these movies. Yeah, um, and they're like, "Oh, it's Brad Pitt's best performance. Ignore everything else." And I'm like, "Well, he's memorable here. He's he's overdoing it, and it's just like trying too hard um, a bit." But it's fine because he's got the three actors around him that help it out a lot. I'm I'm very like indifferent on this movie. Like I'm not like, uh, but I'm just like, I think it's like a bit over hyped or something or appreciated at in points but uh, Cena is killing it like he's like technical levels of this movie are awesome like it, the cinematography uh the way they block out some scenes and stuff are so it, it, easy it to looks watch. like the guy that made white out yeah for sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy to watch easy to watch there um uh Duchovny, he's got x-files in like a month that's gonna drop here from this movie um it, but like he's inter- it's funny because times have changed like since this movie came out the things that are interesting and edgy here are tired now because yeah. uh, he's like this interesting guy at the party because he knows a lot of stuff that nobody's into or and this is the stuff a lot of people talk about you know like now um and I'm always Michelle Forbes big fan of hers so anytime she comes in like I she can read a phone book she's just inter- she's someone who's never been overused. And I think that's her own doing. What is um, she? What is she? Guys, I know she's like in Spartacus for a season, like True Blood. What other? What's she, like other stuff that she uh, does? She was in that show, the The Killing uh, redo. She did Battlestar Galactica. She that's shows up for little things. Like she was at this time, she had been in uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation for a few seasons, and they offered her the lead on Deep Space Nine. She was supposed to be, um, uh, and then she declined it, and then the, their part got rewritten and given to Nana Visitor. Um, which was a great character in its own, so it worked out well. But she uh, she recently reprised her role in Picard uh, for the final season of that. Um, but she, yeah, she gets things. She gets noted in that, and then bails. Like that's what her career looked like because she probably likes to work on different different things and doesn't want an actor like that. Yeah, yeah, she likes to be in different parts. So that's one thing people don't understand. Like. Oh, Chris Evans, you gonna go back to Captain America? Probably fucking not. He probably wants to do other things and not have to like work out three times a day and watch what he eats. <laughs> like, like it's not that inter- they're actors. They want to do ghosted too. Finally, geez, guys. I know. I know. I wish they could all be knives out, but unfortunately, he's making ghosteds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, fortunately, indeed. Yeah, uh, but it's got like some now generic serial killer voiceover monologues and stuff that probably played as edgy and interesting back then that now I'm just like, okay. Um, I will say this movie has a really haunting scene in it to me that just it, like Scott's talking about grounded and real stuff. And I think the scene that nails it is when he kills those cops because sure. that is yeah. like, it's way fit. Like he's just running shoot. Like he's this wild card lunatic. And it's like the cops can't prepare for that. They don't know what's they they have to keep some semblance of like law, justice, and order in a specific like checklist manner, and he's just not even hitting shit, but he manages to take him down. Um, that's that's why like that's why it's frustrating. Like, cause like I see where you're coming from, because I like I'm a little above you, but it's as far as how much I like it. But I'm also like, if you have a scene like that, don't Hollywood the ending. Like, <laughs> like I'm well, not saying- here, well, let me get to it mm-hmm. because they have that. I think there's a more interesting in this version of this movie because the way it's written, it's written like 
somehow David Duchovny is going to be converted from this and join Pitt. Like, and it does the, oh, I'm the good. Like, I feel like Duchovny's interested in, in, interested in following the footsteps to learn more and stuff. And I feel there's a more interesting movie, this version, where he's lost to him and Michelle Forbes is fucked and has to figure a way to, like, get away yeah, herself. that sounds like a more interesting movie. Yes. That's where I, I think, and then it, yeah, the he's got to be the good guy and, and all that. And, um, yeah, and it comes in this scene with the cops. And it, it's that really interesting point where he could do it because he wants to, but he can also say he had no choice. And then Michelle Forbes is going to be like, who's this guy I'm with for a bit? And then you got to, maybe they commit another murder together. And you get that's where you get into Henry. There's stuff there. Territory. There's like the steps but, are yeah. going to take those choices. That's why it's like yeah. that. Like I, this could be better. And that's Julia, why I think that, that's why I think Natural Born Killers is a better. But yeah. beyond the fact that it's obviously doing a bunch and of it, shit, it gets but. to a point where Juliet Lewis is almost written too dumb. Where she's like, oh, he's like, he was breathing when I walked out of there, and she's like, oh, see, it's okay. He was, he was breathing. He still shot the fucking dude. <laughs> I get, yeah, but she's like, she's playing it like, like um, that, that is a type. She's like Jennifer yeah. Jason Lee in, in Miami Blues, where she wants yeah. to leave the yeah. best. But at this, I, I, I get at what that role point, is. At the yeah. point this movie happens, uh, the point that happens, what she knows, what she sees is... Yeah, and at the end, too, like, Michelle Forbes like, fuck David, cause she should not be in the ending. Or she should show up to be like... Or something. Like, there's no way that she's like, whoo, we got through that together. I'd be like, bitch, I'm out. Because she, at many points of this movie, is like, nah. Yeah, that's yeah, because I th- I do think like the the final moment, like it just there's a better version, like we've been saying. I and I you know, and it take it has the steps to get there. Like it kills a couple cops, it kills one yeah. of the main characters in this movie, it kills two of the main characters in this movie. I it could go further. Yeah, and it's like I don't like I don't need a movie to make like I'm not saying make me depressed movie and I'll, then you'll be better. But oh, it's yeah. like the move the way it's set up, it's like. And this isn't a movie, blockbuster. This was not shot as a block. This is not exactly. a wide it's release. Like, it can you're not do winning those anything by going by going soft. But. Yeah, it can. It, yeah, it does not need to follow those things. But yeah, so like I, I'll say this is the most. Yeah, this is the most interesting movie we talk about this week for sure. But like, yeah, and it, it's not like of the worst. Of like it's just yeah. Like I think my thing with this and my indifference is like I see a better or a more pushing the limits version that I want of it than what you I'm know. getting. What I'm getting is not bad, but it's safer. I, I don't know if that's where, because this movie does do some chance things, but yeah, it's a, uh, this is Santa's best movie. I assume so, right? Oh God. Probably. Like is, yeah. is there a season of the witch? <laughs> <laughs> His last movie, by the way, that was 2011. Oh God. I haven't, watched, I haven't watched swordfish in forever, so I I have a. It's not because that's a stupid term, uh, but I I have a soft spot for swordfish. It does certain things that I enjoy because <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, there's that bus scene. It's fun. <laughs> I mean, style. It's I mean, this movie style. It feels like a hungry. Because all of his all of his movies are very much emphasis on the visuals. Like he he knows where to put the camera. That's yeah. Not oh much. yeah, yeah. Things feel. I mean, this movie feels big. Like Gone in sixty seconds, a movie people like way more than I do. That movie's nothing, but it looks nice. <laughs> it's an action movie with almost no action. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got he he has to drive cars. Once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I will say I did say like I did make a note 
when I was, uh, I said this movie does feel long. It's a little, yeah, it's a little shaggy. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's depressing. Like it's not, it's not fun to be like, oh, we're still on this trip. Like it's, you know. Yeah, I did like it. Very much does feel like a. Oh, Silence of the Lambs popular. Thelma and Louise popular. Put those hands together. Let's see what we got. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, yeah, that's true. That's, very, that's why someone backed this. Like, well, those two movies were hits. Oscars and hits. Oh, we get the pit, we get the pit in here also. Well, this is what what's he coming off a true romance. Hit? Yeah. This yeah. year. No, true man. It's a couple of weeks, actually. Like oh, it's a couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. And it's not like he's a huge presence in that movie. No, <laughs> like, no. I would say, uh, what what's else going on? What? Here? Cool World? What's going on? What's going oh, on? Oh, gosh. Here? Yeah, that was the previous summer. The Cool World? Cool World. Yeah. The, he, he was the guy in the Kim Basinger movie. The other guy. Because Gabriel Byrne's like the lead of that movie, isn't he? Is he? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's Brad the Pitt was on the so, poster. Wasn't Brad Pitt, he? well, because he's Brad Pitt. No one wants to see Gabriel Byrne on a poster. Be like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a horror movie. Nope, Brad Pitt's on the poster. It's not a horror movie. Good. So, uh, yeah. hey, Brian's the reason. No, no, a, ri- a river suspects. runs. A, ri- a river runs through it. That's the that's the one before this. Okay, okay, okay. Oh yeah, that's basically what you know started to put him on the well, someone the wheeze, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. Thelma loses the breakout because, like, who's this hot man that's yeah. holding up stuff? He's like, oh, he reminds me of Robert Redford. Oh, he's now with Robert Redford. How subtext meets text. See, it's, yeah. and I, I also think that this movie and um, True Romance are, I can totally see him being the guy that he's being portrayed as in Living in Oblivion in, the, in these two movies. Oh sure. <laughs> like I'm like that's that's probably the movies that whoever wrote that movie saw or experienced him on with what they what they got that. So yeah. So California with a K. It's K. It's K. Um but yeah, uh this one you probably heard of, seen or whatever. It's it's readily available now. Um it's an interesting one to check out for sure. So, uh, you know who else is interesting to check out? Yancy Burns with one final tale from the video store. Warning This television commercial cannot show the terrifying transformation sequence from The Beast Within. The filmmakers strongly suggest that those who may be shocked by this unique and horrifying movie use caution when seeing the film. Have been warned. The Beast Within. Rated R. I had a copy of the you know the Beast Within. Yeah. yeah. I had a copy of the Beast. There was a chain in LA in the 90s called Odyssey Video. Yeah. And one of my friends who's been mentioned in this uh also worked at Odyssey Video for a while. Mm-hmm. And I rented this out on his <laughs> he gave me this as a free rental, the Beast okay. Within, and I took it. And I never gave it back to him. And the whole chain closed maybe two years later. And I never had to, you know, that was a, a bad thing. That <laughs> was a bad I never had to pay for that. I never had to pay oh, $80 wow. for the Beast Within. I did have to buy it, though. I bought it on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm. So I've at least, and I don't really like it that much. So I've done my penance. Amazing. It's amazing how this small group of friends <laughs> weave through these video stores. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that until tonight. I should write it down somewhere. Gotcha. You write a book. Um, 
There was a there's a video store called Family Video, which is known for its porno section. Had oh, of course, saloon porn, doors, course. and they were one of the last remaining video stores. Oh, I rented I rented yes. Runaway Jury one time from there, and I just never returned it. <laughs> and like I kept like I had it, and then it got to a point where it was gone so long I was afraid to return it. Like I was oh, like I don't want oh, I don't want the anger of these people when I bring it back and bring and. And I was like, how big is my damn late fee going to be? And then one day, and this was like, maybe like seven months later, I went in and I was like, I had, the, I, I, I found it, you guys. <laughs> and they're like, uh, and, and I was like, what's the late fee on this? And they're like, they're like, they looked up, they're like $10. I'm like, that's it. $10. And they're like, yes. And I gave them 10 bucks. They go, congratulations, you own it. Keep it. It's <laughs> <was> like, oh. <laughs> okay, thank you for a wonderful summer of Tales from the Video Store, Yancey. We now move on to the final I can't film. believe we killed off Yancey in the final episode. It's, he's gone. That was Goodbye. the twist. Yeah. Goodbye. Uh own son did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the final film of the summer of 93 at 30, Fortress. In the year 2017, one corporation is building a fortress for the ultimate takeover. Your mind. They will control your thoughts. They will invade your dreams. This is an unauthorized thought process. Now, one man will fight the system. The critics are calling it more powerful than Total Recall. Christopher Lambert, Fortress, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Surprised that it wasn't California, but go on. (laughs) This This one made money, so... It really did. I was shocked. Yeah, it made the money. So that's why it got. I mean, that's there's not a California too. No. <laughs> uh, directed by Stuart Gordon. Yeah. Written by Troy Neighbors, Stephen Feinberg, and David Venable. They had to get that plot and everything airtight. Airtight. Uh, starring Christopher Lambert, Lauren Lachlan, Kurtwood Smith, Clift, a little baby Clifton Collins Jr. So adorable. He's just like Clifton Collins in this movie, if I'm not right. Uh, Lincoln Kilpatrick, Jeffrey Combs, Tom Towles, Vernon Wells, and Carolyn Purdy Gordon in a, in a future private underground prison slash fortress. The inmates are computer-controlled with CCTV, dream readers, and devices that can cause pain or death. John and his illegally pregnant wife are inside but want to escape before birth. All right, so this one was from 1992 or internationally, uh, but sees a release in the States here in the coveted Labor Day weekend spot. Uh, Stuart, Stuart Gordon is one of our... I think best B movie genre filmmakers yes. we've ever had. And he's coming off his pit yep. in the pendulum. And two years earlier had done Robot Jocks, which feels like it's in the wheelhouse of this movie. But you know, you know him from like Reanimator from Beyond, like all that good dolls. This is, this is on the heels of um uh, Castle Freak, of course. Yeah, Castle Freak's <laughs> coming up. That's why he got Combs warming up Combs for Castle Freak. All right. So Scott, I have a question here that you might sure. be the answer person for. Christopher Lambert, like, not necessarily an American box office hit, but internationally at the time, is he one of our, like, 
first person people recognize is like, yeah, this guy's got global box office potential. Because um, he leads a lot of movies in the late 80s. After Highlander, he starts first, leading a lot of certainly, stuff. Well, not first. Certainly but, his thing. But like, this I one do, knows, like, I, and I'm, I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm just. No, I, I, I went to you, so it's your true. turn. It's your turn. I went to you. Well, I mean, is I don't want to. Sp- let me put it this way. I think it's possible that he was bankable in the sense of, you know, this film gets overseas pre-sales. Yeah. So, hey, we have Christopher Lambert. Okay, I know him. I will distribute your movie in Portugal, whatever. Um, you know, because people, you know, he's a you know, he's a video star to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, cuz I certainly very few of his films were I would consider domestic smash hits. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like that's what, I'm, I'm saying, curious. like that way because like I I always remember you remember like interviews in the 90s with Tarantino talking about Harvey Cartel. He's like Harvey Cartel is like big in Europe. You guys don't yeah. even know. Like he's not even, you guys waste him over here. Like he is he's huge in Europe. So I'm one of like Christopher Lambert like was Highlander? Highlander. I don't was think it, so because I'm looking at stuff like The Hunted, which was a twenty five yeah. million dollar movie that only made, well, only domestically six point six. I don't see the overseas numbers. Yeah. Like, Brandon, um, I, get, I get your question. Like, yeah. it's it, it's a that's interesting. I, I it, uh, it doesn't hurt him. Like, he has his fans there, but I wouldn't say it's like an overwhelming success in the same way that other stars have just a, a locked in market the, right because i mean he's leading a lot of movies and then like he does have a team up him and uh mario van peoples like team up and they they're they're kind of a duo in a lot of movies they do a lot of movies together but um i'm just like i was just wondering because i'm like alas i'm gonna have to say i don't know okay and there's a lot of random like harvey Hitch, like there's a lot of like random ones like that that just mm-hmm. have that like that you just wouldn't expect at all so yeah so, in a weird places, you know, it's the whole like, half Germany thing. Like, so it's like, do we sell to Europe? We're like, okay, we have a genre picture, and it's got Christopher Lambert from Highlander or whatever. Oh yeah, let's uh, we'll we'll get in there. Yeah, we'll they, they open it in France, and you know, so because yeah, he's given yeah, like like that was your choice. Okay, we got Christopher Lambert. So I mean, he he cashed in off Highlander for a good twenty years, probably. Uh, Mortal Kombat probably didn't hurt. I mean, even there, he was sort of like, again, he wasn't like, oh, oh boy, a star, but it was like, it was kind of neat. Like, oh, Christopher Lambert is Raiden. That's fun. Yeah. No, yeah. It's probably his first use is, okay, this is, this is going to kick off my second wave of, yeah, like international picture stuff. But then he got replaced with Remar in the second one. You would probably, and I'm sure you've mentioned this. Why did they replace him? Did he just want more money, or was he? They busy probably didn't or? have a lot of money. I was, yeah, I was <laughs> sure they didn't have the money to. Pay I've seen the second it. one. They didn't oh, have the yeah, money. Yeah, they made it's, the first it's, one with. What if Mortal Kombat Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? And not obviously, as and, as that sounds. And Remar, one of his his old wishes was, I want to be Raiden in a Super in a Mario Mortal Kombat movie. So you know, it was yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now, I mean, as far as Fortress, I had never seen this one before. I was aware of it, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a surprisingly vivid, detailed, very sketched-in portrayal of the specific dystopian world. Uh, it, and you know, the film thrived on details of this. This, and it, it you know, it it it, it felt very. It felt very, I don't want to say authentic, because this is a sci-fi picture, but it certainly emphasized the emotional and psychological turmoil of living in a in a in a situation of this nature. Um and 
you know, obviously the action scenes are pretty generic, I would say, offhand. And, you know, the film doesn't really reinvent the wheel, but I, I did enjoy the interplay between Lambert and, and Kurtwood Smith as one of the main villains. Um, and, you know, as far as this kind of low budget, but I mean, it's 12 million back in 1993 is probably what, like 30 today? I don't know. Um, you know, it, it feels a little bit bigger than it probably is. And it does, it does a lot to fill in the blanks with this world that makes it very lived in, in a way that makes the film feel bigger and, and, and larger in scale than it actually is. And I found it very compelling beyond just oh this is a fun interesting sci-fi movie uh it doesn't end with any particular pizzazz although i think the conclusion is fine um but as far as a b movie with an interesting very thought out very sketched out like our world but xyz i thought it was quite good gotcha and we we need to mention though it took all summer to get here but the phrase of the summer Came from this movie, Intestinate. What was that? I said the 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 key the phrase of the summer came from this movie, Intestinate. <laughs> All the kids were like, "Yo, Intestinate!" <laughs> Need so the shirt. The kind of man. I want send us all shirts, listeners that say Intestinate. You said it, and then the cat jumped on the chair. I know Intestinate. <laughs> so, Aaron, uh, Fortress. This is a good schlock. Um, I, I like the idea of what if the face-off prison scene was directed by Rennie Harlan or Paul Verhoeven. Like, that's <laughs> what we're getting here, and I appreciated it. I, I do like Stuart Gordon from what I've seen. I haven't seen all of his movies, but, like, he does have this way of making movies that are, like, gross and weird um, without, like, the commentary that you'd get from, like, Cronenberg or Verhoeven. <laughs> it's just kind of like... Yeah, I just feel like doing this. Like that seems to be his vibe. <laughs> and it's like I'm, I'm cool with that. And that's what this movie is. It doesn't like I'm sure you could probably pinpoint some ideas that he's trying to convey about prison systems or whatnot, but I really don't think that's on this movie's mind. I think it's just <laughs> like, yeah, all right, whatever. Like, let me get my boy Jeffrey in here. We'll see what we can do. And I'll make it gory and weird and have a machine that like hooks up to Kurtwood Smith to like make him feel things while everyone's in prison. It's a weird, weird movie, but I, I agree with Scott. I do think the details are there that give it more life and meaning than a worse version of this movie would have. Free Jack. Yeah, Free Jack yeah. or the <laughs> non-sci-fi version, what, Lockdown or something it's a, like that. It's an interesting commentary on population control for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. sure. And uh, Lambert, like, I I don't have much at stake when it comes to Lambert. It's like if he's in there and he's doing his thing, good for him, I guess. I'm not a Highlander guy, so it doesn't really matter to me. I like him as Raiden because he's that funny, I guess. So it's like here he's he's solid. He does the job. I have nothing. I I'm just saying I have nothing. Like I have no like two way about him. He's just like yeah, he's a guy that's pop that's popular. I guess. Um, so he's fine here. I like the general like story idea as far as it's this future. There's no pregnancy allowed or whatnot. And there's these elaborate prisons. Cool. Like I'm into it. I like this stuff going on here. There's not a whole lot more behind it, but I think it's effectively done. It's gorier than I might have expected. It's better than I expected, frankly, because it's, you know, the Labor Day weekend movie. And it's like, well, I'd never heard of this until we mentioned it here. And I'm like, Stuart Gordon. All right, let's see what this is. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy it delivered what it needed to for the movie that it is. 
Yeah, uh, this is a movie I always remember the VHS box. It just it's just his head, like it was like fortress. I'm like, what is yeah. this? Like yeah. you know, like what are you telling me here? Um, right from the opening shot, I was impressed. Um, it's a traveling shot that goes around up through to a guard looking over the bridge. Like it was for a movie of this nature, that shot shouldn't be in here. But you have Stuart Gordon, uh, and there's some genuine well crafted suspense in this opening bridge sequence that. Um, I really liked yeah. the movie. Like you're like, what's going on? It kind of it slowly informs you, gives you this dread, this menace. Um, and then yeah, this movie ends up being like uh, this is my wheelhouse here. I have a soft spot for these. I don't have much money, but I have this idea: sci-fi movies from like the early '80s and '90s, and the sets, the costumes, the props from the the cheapness film best it can. Uh, there's a charm for me in here. It's like these like. I like the dime store RoboCop guys that are like the guards that come through here and try to fight things. So um, it's it's just, you know, the, there's a nice little interesting, unique to this movie way of telling a prison story. Uh, that's really cool. Um, there's a lot of stomachs exploding, people yeah. exploding. Like while you guys said the action isn't good, the practical effects that. and body parts flying stuff oh, the, the violence is, is cool it's very cool uh you get character actors just chewing up cedar like you have kurtwood smith is great here yeah you're having a lot of um, fun here i love it uh but you have like jeffrey combs uh tom towels like not they like you know not hamming it up but really getting you get Combs involved. he's gonna give you anything you want and i love it yeah i love jeffrey Combs. happy yeah. to have him on board anything yeah you got you get these guys that are no they're like which one are we on this week all right cool who, what kind of guy, what kind of character type that I usually play am I being? All right, cool. And they go and they knock it out. They have this like, they have like, I they have these ideas. Like, I, I he's having fun with this set. Like, he got to the set, it was like, all right, there's this bridge. So we're going to fight on a damn bridge. Someone's going to fall. Someone's going to blow up. Like, all this stuff. So, um, it, it's fun. Like, there's the, yeah, like I said, intestinate is the, like, <laughs> the weirdest thing. <laughs> with this movie like that's probably the one like i'm like well that's a you guys went there you guys came up with that phrase you said you you, you put a fucking like wiener in Lane bear's mouth to shoot it into his stomach all as right one does yeah as one says uh it does turn into like a divorce your husband marry me story Mm-hmm. The wife and like every, I love how like every thought Christopher Lambert has thinking of his wife is like horny time with my wife. Like that's, um. And I have a question. They keep talking about like, uh, she got pregnant with her second kid. I'm like, well, where's the first one? Died. Died. Okay, so you can't have another one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was I. Figured, I was like I was like, wait, okay. I thought they talked about the second one died and then oh, whatever. Um, this movie does tease at, like, I thought it was leading up to an ending that was going to give the mist a run for its money. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the wife lived. So <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, I, cause I was thinking, I'm like, Gordon is ruthless sometimes. And this movie's like a cheap B. Like, I think, I'm like, oh, he might actually have done what I think he just did there. But I was like, the wife might die, but I like the baby's going to be somewhere. You know, that's what I, I thought was going to happen. Like she tossed the baby into a tree as things blew up. But no, no, that was not it. So I I think this is a really solid beat. If you find it on a streaming service when it's run, it's a good late night entertainment. Uh, your friends like this is this is fun. This is a 
Yeah, this deserves a synapse or a vinegar or something. Yeah, it had a it had a Blu-ray for a short time that was just a basic Blu-ray and it's out of print and way too expensive for what this movie is. We need the, the imprint Lambert collection. That's the what Lambert collection. As a guy who saw Highlander back in the day, liked it, and then started watching more Christopher Lambert <laughs> movies and then never checked this one out. This is probably one of this this is like top tier. It's one of, yeah, of the things I've seen of him. This this is the preferred and version. I, I, I love the guy. The guy gets actually good one-liners, but he delivers them in such a Lambert way. Where he's like, you know, I just said a one-liner. And he he's, he operates in this weird realm between Walken and Van Damme, and I don't quite... Yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that is perfect. I don't quite get what that is, but I get, like, I see it's like, I see why this could be appealing. <laughs> yeah. I think we, like, watch him because, like, it's funny because it's like this, it's always a weird performance. It's always the same kind of performance, but he's weird with deliveries in an unpredictable way and also a way that you're like, oh, that's a, that's a lamb bear right there. Like it's a, it's interesting. And then I put the poor bastard, like he did these Highlander movies and then they did the one where they mixed the TV show and the, the movies together. And it was clearly written by the, uh, the TV show people, and he got like his like send off for his character was like just like the most like yeah we need to get rid of this guy type thing. At least didn't have to be in part five. And they so. put him, they put him like hair plugs, these awful hair plugs in his hair. It was bad. Um, well, the mortals can't worse. go bald. It could be worse. Uh, Blake Edwards could have uh, I don't know <laughs> used series of outtakes with him and used right. it there for the whole movie. Mm. True. True. So. um so yeah, so Scott, um, how did this one do at the box office? Oh, uh, this As one was actually box office a relative success. Uh, it opened with approximately four million dollars mm-hmm. in September third, and then it ended up with a mere six point seven million on an eight million dollar budget, but it earned forty eight million worldwide. Boom. Mm-hmm. Which is actually pretty good for a Lambert movie. I mean, you know, your question is a good one, but from what I can gather, this is one of the only ones that really broke out overseas. But I could be mistaken. Um, there is a, there is a Fortress 2. It's a recovery there from is. Highlander 2. True. This is bounce back. Um, Pink Panther, son of, made $1.1 in its opening weekend in the end of August. It would eventually... You let out to a whopping $2.4 million. Pull the plug and uh, reboot it. Yep. That's basically what they did. Um, And then California opened on September 3rd with $1.1 million, and it would let out to $2.4 million. Um, So it was not a success. And Calendar Girls, $1.8 September 3rd. 2.5 total. So this is not a big box office weekend for any of the newbies. Doesn't look like Jason Priestley is going to play Robin in Batman Forever, does it? Indeed not. Um. So, uh, the top 10, our last top 10. Uh, shocker, The Fugitive, which actually went up 17% over the holiday weekend <laughs> with, with uh, $17.2 million over what I assume is a four-day weekend, bringing its domestic total up to 133.7. In second place, um, rising a few spots and adding 200 screens, The Man Without a Face, earning $5.5 million, up 36% for a $12.4 million 13-year 11-day total. 
Jesus. Hard target. Still in number three, 4.4 in its uh, minus 12% in its third weekend for a 18-day total of $24.8 million. And number four, yes, Jurassic Park. (laughs) Going up 40%. From its mere 12th weekend of release, earning 4.1 million to bring its end of 13 weekend total up to 316.6 million dollars. Mm. Already becoming, by next week it would pass, or the week after, I'll look it up, uh, Star Wars, which at that point in time had earned 322 million dollars in North America. Uh, obviously, not counting the eventual 1997 re release. So, Jurassic Park would then be or, uh, be between Star Wars and E.T. domestically. E.T. and at that time, again, not counting the eventual 2002 re-release, had earned $399 million in North America. <laughs> Speaking of films that did not earn that much money, Needful Things earned $4.5 million, down 22% in its second weekend for $11.2 million in 11 days. As noted, Fortress would open with four million dollars. Secret Garden. You know, in today three- today's climate, somebody would have got checked the couch cushions and got Fortress ahead of Needful Things. Like, oh, most certainly. Because I'm saying Needful Things is four point oh five, and this is Fortress four point oh four. Like, yes, come on, they you absolutely would have. Anything to um, knock Needful Things down. By the way, setting a record for the biggest weekend. The biggest gross ever for a 2,907 weekend gross, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, with $749,224, going up 108% from last weekend, to bring its lifetime, obviously unadjusted for inflation, total to $98 million. Gotcha. So it's got to be like $400 million. So who is number two? It's like $1.2 billion adjusted, I think. So number seven was Secret Garden? Uh, yeah, Secret Garden is number seven, three point six million. In line of fire, three point two. Free Willy, three, and Rising Sun in tenth place with a two point nine. All right, well, guys, we did it. That is it. That is that is the summer of ninety three at thirty. We've been through all the movies. So now, what did we learn, Aaron? This was your first time doing this. Scott did it last year, but did you enjoy this experience? What was you know going through? How was it for you? Being on this side of it, obviously very regrettable. Um, no, this is. Uh, <laughs> this is. I, I, it's, well, it's, I didn't it's, want to invite you anyway. It's funny. It's not like eye-opening in any way, as far as like what we're seeing, because it's like it ref- beyond like the idea of the kinds of movies that you get then versus the kinds of movies that you get now. You can still chalk up a lot of the same patterns as yeah. far as certain stars are in things, certain genres are popular. Obviously, there's just, you know, there's more tent pulls now that rely on a certain kind of thing, visual effects or what have you, compared to then. But it, you know, the, if any, you know, the things that have changed are things like, you know, the demographics and like what you're seeing, who you're seeing on screen versus then, where it's still selling off of movie stars. Like 93 is a big movie star summer as far mm-hmm. as, you know, you have your Schwarzenegger film, you have a Stallone, you have a Hanks, you have a Ryan, you have, was Willis anywhere involved? Um, we didn't get a Willis, no. Nope. We got a Snipes and we got a Connery and we got a Harrison Ford. We got like all, you know, we got all these big players. So it's certainly a, a cruise. You know, we got, we have so many, like it very much is still like a time when movie stars were selling tickets, which is, mm-hmm. you know, as its own but, thing. But, yeah, so your personal, like watching it all, was it tough? Was it fun? Was it, was it tough for me to watch these movies? No, it wasn't tough to watch. Like, you know, there's movies I didn't like. 
Um, but I, I enjoyed replicating a summer that yep. was interesting to me. Say, you know, watching these various lineups in different weeks to see like how counter programming works exactly and watching these. Like, I thought that, that that was intriguing to me. And I do align that with the, you know, the, the, what I'm seeing from that summer as far as like what the what studios felt would make sense in these various weeks and how we put things out there. Gotcha. So we were moving into, you started mentioning things that ever, Scott, let's go over to you here. Uh, themes of this summer. We talked about themes like what was a recurring thing you noticed happening yeah. in 82? We're now at 93. So what were some of the things you picked up on uh, for 93 for the summer? Well, I, I generally speaking this summer, like, you know, many of the quote unquote, you know, early 90s summer, you saw this sort of, uh, you know, sort of a balance between free temple Hollywood and a more franchise friendly slate because this was, you know, it's been four years since Batman and, and the summer of 89 and Hollywood is getting more into that, but you still have a slew of just a movie movies. Or even something like The Fugitive, where you could argue that the fact that it's a rousing, kick-ass Harrison Ford action thriller is more important or about as important as the IP that is The Fugitive. Um, I think there, I feel, I think the films that made up the summer are less, comparatively less different than what we get today versus the summer of '82. Sure. Um, if only by comparison. Um, and there were some films, Guilty of Sin comes to mind, that, you know, I, I like, you know, I'm always so nostalgic of the old school studio programmer, blah, blah, blah. But A, they're not all good, obviously. But B, more importantly, some of these films aren't as big in scope and scale as, as I remember. Mm-hmm. And there's not even a bad thing necessarily it's just sort of a reminder that not every hollywood film was as huge as contact and face off sort of my go-to thoughts of you know back in my day um and you know not to be a broken record but it is frustrating to see the strides being made in 1993 in terms of inclusivity and diversity in terms of gender skin color sexual orientation etc and how those were more or less just wiped off the map, you know, after 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as I've often said, and I'm sure other people do, it's that, you know, the kind of films that we were getting, you know, pre COVID, you know, even something like, you know, Love Simon or, uh, shit, what's the Christmas movie with, with Kristen Stewart? Um, perfect holiday season, season, I think. Holiday season. Um, and, you know, those were the kind of films that I felt we were probably going to get in had Hollywood not been swallowed by tentpole fever. That those were the natural, you know, next steps after the birdcage and in and out and stuff like that. Um, so it just, you know, it feels like 20, 25 years or 20 years or so that have just history, you know, progress just stopped. And otherwise, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how many of the big big movies were. It's a huge movie star in a movie. Yeah, you know, in the line of fire, the fugitive, the firm. It's the new well, Tom even Cruise that was, movie. You know, again, it's the new Meg Ryan movie. It's the yeah, new this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
and the fact that the firm could be a massive, massive, be expected to be a massive, massive hit because it was a Tom Cruise movie and it was based on a paperback that basically everybody read mm-hmm. if you were an adult. Um, and in a, in a certain way, that was sort of what Mission Impossible was. It was like, take the biggest movie star in the world and cast him in this very well-known IP that allows him to play in the action movie sandbox. Um back when that was you have a a huge you have a huge star and you have other stars and you have ip you have like there's it's less irregular compared to the firm like it's just like he's a lawyer (laughs) some stuff happens to him (laughs) it's a book you read it yeah yeah Yeah. and you know it's 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 um as far as surprises i mean Again, I, I was having not seen it before. I was shocked how much I just guilty of sin was just boring as hell. Um, well, we'll, get, was, to, we'll get to surprises. We'll get to okay, yeah, then yeah, I'll stop we'll, talking. We'll, I'm talking about themes of the summer. So I, I noticed kids' movies. They were all over the place. There was something for kids all the time, every time aimed at kids, different qualities. Of course, they're allowed to have different. They're allowed to have kids' movies aimed at kids that an adult has to just fucking take it when they're at the theater. <laughs> You know, and that's that was here. Kids had like their own stars. Um, they, you know, we had Rookie of the Year, you had Free Willy, you had, you know, it was, it was just like they got to run their course and then came another. Or, you know, and then you have like Hocus Pocus, which I wasn't even thinking, yeah, that's a kid's movie, but feels different than, say, Rookie of the Year. Um, also have where were the horror movies like this is a time but then i realized this is a time when that genre was like dying aside from aiming at prestige adult chasing yeah. silence of the lambs movies dying so they were probably holding off till like the, i mean we have like needful things and hocus pocus and what friday the 13th jason and friday yeah we had a friday the 13th movie but it was at the like you know when paramount didn't even want it no more so it was a new line one um so this stuff was, you know, on its way out. Um, the black movies were common, casual. They weren't dominant or anything, but they were just like they they were well rounded in terms of like not all being the some had something important to say. You could have uh, you could have like poetic justice where it's just kind of like a rom com, not rom commy. Well, it has that element to it, um, but they're present. They were just they weren't you know out to you know the, you didn't you know they were just. Playing at there's the more to come from here, but yeah, it's certainly there's more to come, yeah. There's it's, a there's a there's an interesting because you know you get a western, you get a comp, you get a yeah, yeah. you get you get a, a biopic. So I mean, right. you know, um, and then I noticed there's this crisscross between the action guys and the thriller guys, and some of the thriller guys would become action guys, and some of the thriller guys are old action guys. Like you got Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, but then you got Cruz in there. You've got then you got like Eastwood turning into more of a thriller guy. Um, and then like, you've got the combo of like Connery and Snipes in a thriller. Um, so there's like, that's the, kind of, you got Tom Hanks hiding that murder of his wife in that one movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. So right. you've seen that deleted scene. <laughs> so, I mean, we're building up to like, you know, cause Stallone points to like Michael Keaton and Batman change. Like anybody can be an action hero, but really I think it's when Reeves does speed, you know, cause you have Willis, but this is, he's just Willis. But then you get like Keanu and now there's more of them, and that's the one I think Speed really like. Because then you start, you ask Christian Slater to hold, the, you know, to be an action star, 
um, after that. And like they start trying. This is not nothing, though. I mean, I think the trifecta of Cage in '96 was sort of where. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, this is that's the big one because he's, he's like he's an Oscar winner, right? Yeah. yeah, like so that, high octane action movies. But like in that, so like that the equivalent of that is like he wins an Oscar, he goes and does those pure action movies. That'd be like you know, I uh, got my Oscar, I'm gonna go play this Marvel character. That's what. That would be back in the 90s. So that was one of the things I noticed as well with this summer. Aaron, do you have any more theme things that you were? Uh, not that you haven't hit. I mean, I, uh, anything else is just probably emerge when I start going through these lists of things. But uh, Okay. So, you're, you're, hitting, you're hitting the right points here. Gotcha. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> so since Scott already went here, I'm going to skip down to our three favorite discoveries from the summer of 93 at 30. So Scott, you started yours. What were your three favorite discoveries that weren't House of Cards? <laughs> now, I, I I didn't want to just do movies that I hadn't seen because most of these films, the ones that I, there were plenty that I had seen, but I just hadn't seen them in like, you know, 30 years. Um, my favorite discovery was how fucking awesome Free Willy was. Okay. That's fine, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I I, I was always mm-hmm. aware of the film, and I had kind of sort of seen it when I was a kid and think this is fine, whatever. But going back and re-watching it, it just really is like, God, this is a spectacular picture. Um, the kid is good. The adults are authentic and relatable and human. And it's one of those films that, that's, you know, it's exceptional, I guess. You know Michael Michael uh, Ironside, who's you know the bad guy. It's basically just good people trying to be good to each other and more or less having good things happening, even when you have a care you know a protagonist who's had very bad things happen to him previously. You know it's a film that's filled with slightly unexpected goodness throughout, which is always something that I enjoy. Um, I want that in the uh, back of the box. Slightly unexpected goodness throughout. <laughs> Scott Mendelson. Yes. Um, posse. You know, I, I think I had seen that when you know in his early HBO days, and I certainly I, I knew of its you know cultural value, et cetera, et cetera. But just as a film, it was a lot of fun to watch, just in terms of what's come, what's come afterwards. And I, I was very pleased by how well staged and you know individually, you know, mano a mano, the climactic shootout was. That there were lots of little action beats within there with specific characters. Uh, which any good Western should have, but it's always nice to see that. American Heart, which was a film I had heard of, I was aware of, but I'd never actually seen it. And it just was a really, really just straight down the middle, rock solid character drama. Um, with a terrific performance by Jeff Bridges during that whole Jeff Bridges is underrated, says every critic in America phase. Gotcha. Uh, Aaron, what were your three under um, underrated discoveries? Um, I have two from that Scott had. Posse's one of them. Posse's the only one as far as like a discovery that I already knew existed, but I just hadn't seen it. But I well, was that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it didn't happen. Oh, I didn't know this movie existed. No, but I have, I have a logic to those lists. So like, so with discoveries, and I, I, <laughs> I, I do, I do. I, I thought about like how to go about these, and like, I, Posse's one where it was the most. It was the one I was most curious about, just because I've been wanting to see it, and I finally, have, you know, had the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. And I do think just the the work done in that film to make it what it is, I think I found to be just quite interesting. Like, you know, along with liking the movie quite a bit, I I, I thought that was a neat one to catch up on. Um, American Hearts, the other one, which that was a true discovery because I just never heard of this movie before. I didn't know about it. Didn't know it existed. And while I wasn't like, I wouldn't like say I was over 
board on the the film overall i still like the movie quite a bit and i do think bridges and furlong are doing the job here i do think they really delivered um what the heart of what the heart of the movie is trying to do and the music of chance is the other one the music of chance is the movie i didn't have no idea about whatsoever i like the giant swings that it's taking i enjoyed seeing where it was going uh, as far as kind of what the result is of this thing and just having these two these two guys if it patinkin and uh spader like it just i didn't know what this thing was going to be and the fact that it like emerged in the way it did that that intrigued me um i also throw out there because i don't know mentions um wilder napalm because it's like weird <laughs> like just it's not a great movie by any means but it's also like what is this like this is such right. a un- unique type of film and I was just happy to finally watch Manhattan Murder Mystery. <laughs> like I, there you go. I wasn't like this, a discovery. It was just more of like, this is everything I wanted it to be. <laughs> like, this <is> really good. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so uh, Posse goes three for three here because that Hey-o. was in mine. <laughs> uh, the music of Chance goes two for three. That was in mine. I just, I really, I don't know. That was a very watchable, fun movie for me. Uh, the one I differ from you guys is The Wedding Banquet, the Ang Lee film. I, I really like that one a lot. Um, and then I, I do have, I um, think Odd Love almost made it, but I was like, there's, I have problems. Um, even though I was really into, I was into a lot of it. But my honorable mention, benefit of the doubt, because I laughed my ass off during God. the second half of that movie so much. So um, I'm never going to watch it again. Uh, the others I will, but I just wanted to mention I did have I did have a good hoot, hoot. I use hoot with that one. Uh, watching that one, so um, that is a good segue, Scott. For what are the what were the five toughest movies for you to get through watching? Now, for me, this was different than just you know the worst or you know because it's no secret I do not like at last action hero, but it's not like I'm sitting there going, Oh God, when will this end? When will this end? Cause there are surface level pleasures. So, uh, generally in order of, of I'm sorry. <laughs> it's also not the worst of anything. Either. No, no, no. So, uh, this is, I think, in order of release, give or take, just because I'm going through the calendar, a uh, super Mario brothers. It just every fucking time is like, my God, this movie is so boring. Um, guilty of sin, a uh, carnosaur. <laughs> You know, it's it's the idea of watching Carnosaur is always more fun than actually sitting through Carnosaur. Gene Sisko disagrees. He's wrong. It happens. He didn't like Sons of the Lambs or Feel of Dreams. Um, Benefit of the doubt. Fucking boring because you know he's guilty. <laughs> There's no suspense. Um, and yeah, the last 20 minutes or so were, oh, okay, this is an engine fun, but whatever. Uh, Tom and Jerry was just a nothing burger. Gotcha, Aaron. So I, I think I'm in the same area, Scott, as far as the logic of this list. It's less about what I would now some of it crowded crosses over, but as far as quality goes, but it's like what were films that were hard for me to like sit there and be like, okay, there's another hour forty five minutes of this, huh? Um so on that level, needful things is number five. Uh, because that would be so repetitive. <laughs> oh shit, I forgot to put that on my list. Yes. It's like <laughs> there's more of this like what are we gonna do in here there's a three-hour cut that we're not watching thankfully just shop um, somewhere else <laughs> so needful things son of pink panther um sliver oh uh, wow which I, I do not have the time <laughs> for this is it was like it's between the, it was like i but compared to guilty of sin because they're pretty similar to some degree like this that, that was the this is the lesser one it's a not like at least 
it's guilty as sin ends hardcore. Sliver's just like, <laughs> then, he, then she broke some of his TVs, I guess. Fuck this movie. Um, <laughs> they get to fuck this movie by boyfriend's back. Fuck oh, this movie. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm oh, trying so to. Uh, did the whole list, I guess. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. to I'm trying to get that out of my. Yeah. So, uh, but the, I mean, the, as I've said many times, the worst kind of movie for me is a comedy that's not funny. There's nothing worse to watch to me than that mm-hmm. kind of, and that's a movie that's not funny and it's awful. Uh, speaking of which, House of Cards easily tops the list here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a garbage <laughs> film. It, uh, it's uh, mistakes for me. Uh, honorable mentions. Uh, Equinox, um, just whatever, uh, Calendar Girl, Carnosaur, and better than a doubt, because like I hear what you're like, yeah, it's it's technically one of the worst movies we've seen. I by the way, I made a whole letterbox list, I'll share it with you guys after this. And I, but I, I do have that, it's published now on my letterbox page. I'm just it's just my name, um, uh, so you can find like how I ranked every single one of these movies. Um, but yeah, better than a doubt, like it's it's a terrible thing, it's the second worst film that I've watched this summer, but it is entertaining in its own way so like if that has that going for it, like you said brandon gotcha uh my toughest my five choices to watch uh house of cards it made it uh equinox uh weekend of bernie's two mm. uh tom and jerry that mm. garbage <laughs> and this week's son of pink panther <laughs> horrible horrible so I'll go first with the top 10 favorite movies of this summer. For me, no particular order here. You guys suck. Scott's not going to rank I it did, up. No, no, I did not <laughs> order for me. Oh, okay, did, fine. My number, my number one's The Fugitive. So if you want a one something, everything else is coming below The Fugitive in some capacity. Um, I have The Fugitive, In the Line of Fire, Orlando made my top 10. Cliffhanger, uh, Sleepless in Seattle, Menace to Society, So I Married an Axe Murderer, Manhattan Murder Mystery, Hard Target, and Dave were my top ten. I'm not going to do honorable mentions because I said ten. So ten (laughs) it is. Aaron, I'll go back to you. I I can't not do honorable mentions. Um, I will say I left out Snow White and Nothing But a Man on purpose. Right. But I did did that very purposefully. Same same Uh, mindset. Honorable mentions. I do have Cliffhanger, so I married an axe murderer and Dave. Um, number 10 is The Wedding Banquet. Uh, number 9 is The Music of Chance. 8, Orlando. Number 7, Sleepless in Seattle. Number 6, Manhattan Murder Mystery. Uh, number 5, In the Line of Fire. Number 4, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Number 3, Menace to Society. Number 2, Welcome to to Jurassic Park and number one, I forgot the... Jurassic Park. Am I just you forgot Jurassic Park? <laughs> <laughs> I just completely threw it like I was like, Oh my god, I forgot Jurassic Park. Oh, oh, well, so honorable mention. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we had a letterbox guy who could keep track oh of it? Oh my god, <laughs> you guys were like, Damn, guy hates Jurassic Park. So sorry. Sorry to Dave, you got bumped for Jurassic Park. Oh my! My God. number one is the Fugitive. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, Stephen. Um. Yeah, that was a mistake. So, going back to mine, Dave has been scratched for Jurassic Park. <laughs> wow. And I sat looking over this and over this and over this. <laughs> I made cuts that felt hard. 
And I totally like Jurassic Park. It's, this is what you said, Aaron. It's your favorite movie. It's like it's your favorite movie. That's not your favorite movie. So I don't think of it like. Yeah, I was kind of shocked to see it rank so high. Yeah, so, I, li- I like Jurassic Park. I like it more than yeah. nine movies on this list. Wow. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, so for those of you listening that were like, "The fuck, no Jurassic Park? What? The, what's going to be in his- at least Papa Aaron over here mentioned the movie." <laughs> I have revisited it's my no list. I have revisited my list. Maybe re-edited this podcast so I say it the first time. But no, no, none of that. I'm honest. It's still here. So there we go. Sorry, Dave. You're my Dave is my honorable mention. Jurassic Park made the list. If you edited this, I would tweet out that you edited this. He's a liar. <laughs> All right, Scott. Um, uh in in ascending order, I guess. And some of this is more random than others. Uh, the wedding banquet. Dave, what's love got to do with it? Much ado about nothing. Free Willy, which fucking rocks. Menace to society. The funniest film of the summer. No. Um, Jurassic Park, which I remembered the first time. The Fugitive. In the Line of Fire. And Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, sorry, listeners. House of Cards did not make it. I know everybody was sitting there... You said no honorable mention, so. All right. So um, one last thing. Or here we go. Two last things. Least favorite episode to record movie watching wise for the show. Maybe this one. Just because, A, we went really a long time between, and it was partially my fault, between when we watched and when we actually recorded, and partially because the movies weren't, particularly noteworthy and it seemed sort of a bummer to end on when it's not you know it's the calendar um maybe this one by default calendar girl okay aaron what was your least favorite now is the idea of like the lineup of films we're talking about when that's yeah yeah not like oh we hated getting together and talking about like i like doing this (laughs) yeah no (laughs) not that it was just like what was the the one or like block (laughs) films just didn't hit at all. To, to me, it feels like it should be obvious. We had a five film round with like four of the worst. That Need- was my pick. Needful things, man about a face, which is fine, but fuck Mel Gibson, so I don't care. Only the strong, fatherhood, <laughs> and the thing called love. Only the only one of those movies I like. Two of them are like way down at the bottom of the list here. Like so, yeah, that was that's a shit. That's See, a yeah, th- that episode was yeah, it was five of them, and then nothing. Like I wanted the thing called Love to stick more. It didn't. That was the one I was more interested. Man without a face, I was like, eh, on Needful Things. Ooh, I enjoyed trashing Needful Things. I had a good time with that. Only the strong could have been it, some stupid movie, but it was dull and shit. And fatherhood I is. I thought awful. it was a fun, stupid movie. Oh, but yeah, that was the one that stuck out to me. Yeah. As far as the lineup of films is concerned, because I I was looking at all of these films and I was like, this is the one that like, because every every week there's like, you know, two that are maybe fine and then the two that are maybe bad or what have you. This is the one where it's like, this is just nonstop shit for the most part. Yeah, because I mean, this week, California was interesting. Uh, We all liked Fortress. Uh, Yeah. And then we had one really painful comedy and then Scott liked Callinger girls so like the strong it's it was, like it was, it was hard compared to yeah 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 it's hard to find another one because i had this episode because it's like yeah there's two bad ones here but then like the other the only other one i thought was um one that had two good movies or two movies i like because one's like like water for chocolate hot shots part two 
which are fun. Like I like both of those. Well, I like Oliver Chopper more, obviously, but that is Carnosaur and Sil- Sliver, which are shit. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> but no, that that Fiverr, that's that's the right. that cake. Yeah, and it was five. So yes. okay, uh, favorite uh, one, Aaron. <laughs> my fa- my favorite um, is uh, it rules. It's Cliffhanger. Made in America. That's Super the same Super one I had. Yeah, me too. That was it, yeah. 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 Even though Mario three, Brothers. That's yeah. great. That's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Because, that yeah, that was the one. Yeah, because everything, would, like, because Mario is, well, as it's bad as it is. It's fun to talk about how it, bad it is. It's a fascinating failure. Yeah. It's a, fasci- yeah. it's a fascinating failure, and it's fun to talk about. Men of Society is a great film. Cliffhanger is an awesome blockbuster. It made America's like this little like the made one America's that we were like little, the movie that our, could. That, yeah, exactly, exactly that. It's our yeah. little tank engine. It's like yeah, good different thing you made in America. That almost made my stuff. favorite discoveries list. Yeah, because so I had sort of seen it, but it's like this is aged very well. Yeah, that's that's the only set of movies I found where it's like everything about this list is interesting to me. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that. Uh, that was the one. So, all right. Well, awesome. I thank you both for uh, going on this journey with me, completing it. Listeners, thank you for whatever you did, like just listening, watching a a little mini clip there, here and there, uh, and uh, interacting uh, on social interact, media, interacting on social media, that's, that's co- correcting us, enlightening us about the news stories we laughed at. Uh, that that was my favorite. <laughs> that was some of my favorite stuff. Um, and I hope you keep with uh, the, the Brandon Peters show will return sooner, of course, um, with like next week. Uh, Sabi- uh, I think next week or maybe I'll take a week off of Sabina Graves and I will catch up for see how we did, uh, how the summer movie season went and how we did on some of our little picks and our little game we did. Um, but what's next here? The summer of 93 at 38 is concluded. We hope that you come back to join us for the summer of 2004 at 20 Woo-hoo. beginning next May. With Scott, Aaron, and I returning and talking about the films of the summer of 2004. Um, so very excited to get started on that one. We've already got eight episodes recorded. It's going to... No, just kidding. We haven't started. <laughs> what? <laughs> we have AI, Scott. That's what we got. AI. That summer kicks off of a blast, too. Van Helsing. Boom. Oh, my God. Boom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You like monsters? We got them. Uh, so yeah, so that's very exciting. I love this series. This is one of my. This is probably my favorite things to do, and one of my favorite things I've ever done in podcasting. So I appreciate Scott and Aaron being along for this journey, making it. Uh, plus, these were are fun as hell to record too. We have a I, blast doing it. I hope it comes across in episodes. I love going over this. It's a fascinating thing, a big pop culture journey. Just seeing like what the fuck was going on when. I, I love the news and stuff because uh, TV because I'm like, what was going on when Cliffhanger came out? Like, what was, you know, what were you doing during the week? Like, what news? Like, what crazy thing happened that why you were like, I'm going to see Cliffhanger this weekend? But who finished the mile fastest? Like, I don't know. If we know that or not? But some weird news stories pop up. I love that Letterman stopped his show and began his show in the middle of this. Um, yeah, just crazy stuff and a lot of baseball stats for Scott. He loves those. So, Brandon, I, I do appreciate you in, in, inviting me along to go on this uh, this summer ride with you guys. This is, this is a lot of fun. I very much enjoy it. But I give you plenty of credit for, you know, assembling all this, getting, you know, getting all you, you, you talk about the news, but you have to assemble all this data. You pull all this stuff up. You, you help us with the, the movies or what have you. 
you you know obviously you're editing all these episodes together and whatnot this is a this is a tremendous effort i'm very happy to be involved with it oh, thank you thank you yeah it's uh it's fun. like i love it no, i'm uh, just along is, for the ride this yeah. is your podcast if it wasn't so much work i would be more frequently <laughs> than just a summer but i could not maintain oh, it for I an guess. entire Scott, year that's also right yeah not having to edit a podcast is great for me it's <laughs> a great break yeah. for me <laughs> yeah and i mean it's yeah I, I try to make it an interesting edit with clips and and stuff to make so you're not just listening to us talk and you get a break from that and you get to hear some nostalgic stuff like i always uh with the trailers i go with tv spots because the tv spot has a guy talking so you're listening to a podcast it's usually got a narrator but just seeing how those things were edited what pushes were um because we had a lot of there's a lot of tv spots that are like people coming out of the theater being like oh my gosh it was awesome like they don't do that anymore really it's uh, just it's just a shame that yancey's head was too big for the frame and that's why you right. couldn't be oh yeah thanks <laughs> oh, thanks to yancey birds i forgot yeah thanks to yancey birds for being a part of this um he you know did the video store things uh he has some fun stories he had a little mini uh, mini series of episodes about tarantino that were great um he was fun. Thanks to Prez Maxson. He'll be on here Friday to wrap up as he does. He did the he did the uh, the theme for Summer of ninety three at thirty. He also did the new this theme for the news. Um, and he does it with a you know just because he's an awesome guy and loves helping out with the show. Uh, special thanks also to the music video people: uh, Jessica Altman, Troy Brownfield, David Banks, who stepped up a lot. He helped me out uh, more than he knows. Uh, Jennifer Rayford, of course, she's always great. Abe has joined. The Brandon Peters Show. Uh, Tony Schaub also in there as well. He's not. He went from Old Space Show to there, so we are grateful for that. But thank you, everyone who has helped out, and the, again, the listener, you're important. The engagement is what I like. That's fun because I, you know, what I tell people, I'm like, there's people with thousands, millions of like subscribers, followers on places which I don't have. Um, in, in areas, but like we don't all have smartless money. I I want the engagement. I want you to actually listen. I don't want I don't want like just empty follows and stuff. I want the engagement. I want you to actually hear the show. And I actually noticed some people watch the YouTubes for these and they listen to it audio wise. And that's what I want. I don't want the empty follow. I want the actual listen because it's hard work. I want people to hear it. So uh, thank you all. So yeah, that's summer of ninety three at thirty. Aaron, before we go, let people know where to keep up with you until two thousand four. Um, I can be found on the podcast Out Now with Aaron and Abe, featuring myself and summer of ninety three music guest Abe Mua. We talk about the weekly movie releases. It's a lot of fun. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, we'll have just wrapped up the summer movie gamble <laughs> to see where we all ended with this. Oh, summer. Boy. oh so, my gosh. Um, spoilers, Scott lost. But um, yeah. Oh. The, how did I know? How was I supposed to know the dead reckoning would be bad? But um, yeah. Who saw pod- that coming? <laughs> again. That pod- lost again. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that podcast is out there it's weekly we have a lot of fun doing that just like we had a lot of fun doing here i write movie reviews for leave entertainment i write blu-ray and criterion reviews for why so blue i am on x <laughs> slash twitter Aaron's PS4, as well as an Instagram and uh, and Letterbox. Be sure to you know follow me if you. I don't know. I don't. I don't really use Letterbox for social means, but I do have the list of all these movies on Letterbox. So you know, follow me there. <laughs> and Scott, uh, I'm at therap.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson, and I'm on Blue Sky. What that's worth? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got an invite, so okay, fine. All right, what's your what's your Threads address? 
Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> I had to, you know, I, yeah. At the very least, until it becomes available on a desktop, I'm not joining. All um, right. And that's it. All right. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brand4KUHD. My written work is at right, whitesoblue.com. Uh, Want to plug uh, somebody's work? If you're in the Indiana- Indianapolis area and you're driving to work in the morning, turn to 92.3 WTTSFM for Matt Pelser as he as your guide on your morning drive, as I forgot to give him props for being on the summer 93 at 30. And that's where he's at. You can find him there. He's a great morning listen on the radio. Plays some good tunes as well. Uh, but yeah, that's it here. Um, we return next summer, summer of 2004 at 20. Uh, the Brand Peter Show, regular, I don't know, returns soon. Uh, watch the social medias. And uh, thank you, Aaron and Scott, my music video peeps, your listeners. Always a pleasure. Great. And as I, as I always say, stay film positive. It's the summer of 93. At thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of and News Themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.